This is the Art of Darkness podcast with Kevin Kautzman and Brad Kelly. We're a couple of very online writers interested in the dark side of what drives creative people to create against all odds. This show is about art and the people who make it, what it costs them, and what it takes to bring something unique and impactful into the world. Each episode, we excavate the life and work of an artist you might think you know. Don't worry, they're all safely dead. On every episode, we try and find out just what the hell was wrong with them and how they worked through their darkness to create something that lives on after them and continues to move culture. Find us online at artofdarkpod.com and on Twitter at artofdarkpod. And this is another episode of Art of Dark Pod, uh, artofdarkpod.com, Twitter at artofdarkpod. Uh, what else, Kevin? Patreon.com slash artofdarkpod for we're those after dark. We're back. <laughs> I wasn't going to say anything. I wasn't going to jinx this? it, Kevin. I've yeah. been in the woods for an entire month. I've been communing with the spirits of the forest, including little mushroom spirits. Good. And they're going to channel, they're going to use me as a vehicle to communicate certain truths about the nature of the universe, novelty. Okay. And we're gonna we're gonna figure out where where all your hair went, Brad. <laughs> that is a mystery that will not be solved today or any other day. Uh <laughs> well, Kevin, first of all, it's good to see you, man. Thanks, buddy. Yeah, we, yeah, we took like a little, a little sabbatical. Good. Little sabbatical. What, what is, what is the phrase that you use, Brad? You, you, you talk about this as like a an effort pod. An effort pod. Yes. Yeah, yeah. We yeah. don't simply come on and and banter for right. three, four hours. Right. We we prep these shows. That's why we don't have, uh, say, uh. uh how to say this? We don't say, okay, every two weeks on this date, you're going to get a new episode. It's a little more erratic. It is. Because we're a couple it, of erratic guys. We don't know. Like it's, it, it could take four weeks to research a subject. It could take six weeks. It could take two weeks. In any case, we do endeavor to be consistent. We do try to put out at least two core episodes a month. But today, in a very, very special day for Art of Darkness, this is our first double header day where we're going to put out two episodes two core episodes mm -hmm. in one single day so this is this is a this is a big deal for us yeah 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 no it's yeah. it's going to be it's going to be big and it's uh you know we're we're uh we're doing two uh two subjects who are one's an obvious candidate for art of darkness one is maybe not so obvious and that's the one i think we're doing today which we're is, doing right now, you mean. We're doing them both today. We're doing right now as yes. we're talking. We're doing them both today, mm -hmm. but we're doing one later. And right now we're doing Terrence McKenna. Uh, so and to, to do this, we're actually going to have a very, very special guest uh, uh, coming to help us out. Someone near and dear to our hearts, a co-conspirator in the whole Art of Dark thing. Uh, and that is the artist, the the uh, the brilliant uh, artist behind all of our episode are Francis Bacon. No, no, well. <laughs> no, 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 that's that's our second subject. He's dead. We don't have no. We yeah. have the great Pineal Colada. Yes, welcome, welcome. Thank you so much for joining us. Hello, um, thank you. 
Yeah. And so this is, this is going to be really, this is going to be really cool. We've been kind of going back and forth about how we're going to approach this. She's got uh, a lot of interesting insight and uh, well, we'll let her talk about that. Um, but before we get too deep into it, uh, we just wanted to say sort of once again, thank you Pinyol, for all the work you've done to, to give the Sh art of darkness show the vibe that it has, the look that it has. Kevin and I are kind of responsible for how it sounds. You are responsible for how it looks. Um, and so that's really, that's just really cool. It's really cool to have you on. And I think this is going to be a lot of fun. Perfect. Thank you. And anybody who likes the episode art, uh, it's not like this is all she does. She's got an Etsy where what, what kind of stuff do you have on that? You should explain it rather than me muddling through it. Right. I have prints and little knickknack type things. Everything's been painted in black light paint and usually glow in the dark and then uh greeting cards stuff like yeah, that yeah a little bit of everything yeah it's cool it's a very very cool style very cool look um so be okay so we'll get we're gonna launch into it but we have to start with our question kevin we're talking about terrence mckenna what do you know about terrence mckenna I'm going to rewind and say first, thanks to our Patreon subscribers. Oh, yeah. We love you. We adore you. If you enjoy the show, please subscribe. You get extra content every episode. We do another 20, 30 minutes after dark. We're also adding some other bonus stuff. That's at patreon.com slash artofdarkpod. Brad, can you tease? What are you going to talk about today? Well, for, I'll yeah, answer first your question. You question. Yeah, I'll yeah. answer the question, then you tease it. So what do I know about Terrence McKenna? Okay, Terrence is somebody I know, I think I know something about. Uh, he's He's right next to he's like the timothy leary of mushrooms and he 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 came up with this theory of the stoned ape this idea that we like language could have could have evolved because uh, our our uh, biological ancestors uh, started eating these hallucinogenic mushrooms and started tripping and that's where language came from and our brains evolved in a very particular way because of this intervention by the mushroom he also came up with this really bonkers theory time wave zero uh and he had this idea of like increasing novelty and it had something to do with what 2012 and the the mayan calendar and uh he was a big devotee of of dmt mm -hmm. and he was sort of like the arch uh i guess um what's the word like the almost like the the gospel of dmt according to terrence uh you're gonna you're gonna you're gonna hit this stuff out of a bubble you're gonna inhale you're gonna do it three four times and then you're gonna punch through the veil and meet the machine elves uh which which squares with my experience uh you know uh in minecraft um <laughs> but uh yeah and i've just in i've just eaten a heroic dose of mushrooms. Oh boy, we better uh, we got to get this show yeah. out. So I'll quick be I'll, I'll be coming up. <laughs> I'm kidding. <laughs> I'm kidding. I'm stone cold sober right now. But okay. uh, that's more or less what I know about uh, Terrence McKenna. I also know about his brother Dennis, who I think mm. has some connections to the University of Minnesota and Minnesota mm. here. But uh, yeah, I, yeah, I, that's what I, that's what I know, Brad. So I, I'm excited for this episode to learn more about the great uh, the great man. Yeah, that's all. That's all. That's all about true. I mean, obviously, we're going to add more details to it. But yeah, that's that's that kind of, of who he was, I think. Um, he's a this is an interesting figure to do for us because um, 
Art of Darkness, we type, we tend to focus on people who are conventionally thought of as artists. And, uh, you know, Terrence McKenna doesn't necessarily come up. That, that's not necessarily the first word that you use for him. Right. He's not a he's not writing novels. He's not writing plays. He's not a filmmaker. He's not a musician. Um, but I think we're going to see through this that there is a a mile wide streak of the artist of some kind running. Through oh, his life. yeah. So, I mean, he's sort of like yeah. a creative poetic philosophical shamanistic freak culture right right he's not an artist in the sense that let's say francis bacon who we're going to cover uh next is right he didn't sit down to paint per se but Mm -hmm. he was certainly a storyteller uh yes and i i do think it's worth noting and mckenna of course would have been of irish descent and so was leary so there's that weird kind of Irish gift of gab and linguistic uh sort yeah. of uh and, yeah. and, and also and also a a uh, predilection towards uh the uh fairy and elfish um so anyway yeah. we're gonna get to that indeed right? let's go um, okay so yeah so okay so Terence McKenna as we've kind of talked about goes by a bunch of labels freak ethnobotanist and sorry, ethnobotanist, uh, expert in shamanism, butterfly collector, an advocate for drugs, a hippie, a quote unquote consultant, which we'll talk about, which I think is pretty interesting. Also, a writer has a number of books and essays. Um, he called himself at certain times a gadfly, uh, a cultural commentator, a philosopher. Other people sometimes thought of him as a doomsday prophet. Um, uh, and he is, I think this has come to be appreciated even more so lately. Um, a, a poet of a of a sort of a, in the sort of the bardic tradition of the kind of roving storytelling poet. Right. Um, so this is the guy we're going to talk about. So um, I want to get uh, let's talk about a couple things about him and then then we're going to talk about his biggest theory. And I think that's going to help us understand what his whole life was about. So um, when he died, <clears throat> There was an uh, he had a New York Times obituary, which for some reason kind of surprised me. I had always thought he was a little more fringe than that, but I guess it makes perfect sense. Now, at this time, the uh, I want to give you give you kind of two uh, an outsider opinion, somebody who doesn't like Terrence, right? What they thought of him. Um, this was from the at the time of his death. This was from the uh, the president or the vice president of something called the Phoenix House of New York, which is a, a drug treatment center. Um, she would say about him. Quote, Terrence says that the psilocybin mushroom is a megaphone used by an alien intergalactic other to communicate with mankind. Surely this is enough for us to wonder if taking LSD has done something to his mental faculties. All right. So there are people, people in the straight world, and I don't mean the, in, in, in uh, sexual orientation, people in the straight world thought he was insane in some way, oftentimes, right? Um, but here's Terrence talking about himself and his approach. Okay, this is a, this is a quote on him, I believe, in 1994. So this was well into his career. He is he is the Terrence McKenna that people know about at this point. Um, people quote, uh, this is from Terrence quote. People are confused sometimes by exactly who and what I am. That's because in my personality, which is a humbler word than method, two things are united, which are usually not found co-present. My techniques are all shamanic and involve perturbing the senses and dissolving ordinary states of mind through psychedelics. So my techniques are shamanic, but my method is rational and analytical. 
So I use shamanic techniques to go into shamanic places and then attempt to study them scientifically, saying, what is this? How does it work? What is it made of? How do its parts relate to each other? What is its inner dynamic? This apparently, though it seems fairly obvious to me, is a fairly radical union of techniques. Scientists, scientists don't explore psychedelics because somehow the scientific mind must not be besmirched by being studied. But how can you study psychedelics without taking them? I am not part of the new age in my own mind, tip, uh, typified by an incredible credulity and an utter immunity to cognitive dissonance. I mean, you know, you can believe in the new age that reality is ruled from the Pleiades and you can believe that L. Ron Hubbard is right. The number of contradictions that the new age can contain is immense. But what I do is I probe weirdness, but rationally. Most people attracted to weirdness want to convert and believe it and exalt it. I don't want to believe anything. I hate ideology, all ideology, because ideologies are a lesser resolution of the dilemma that we are, than we are capable of. The higher resolution lies in real feeling and real community. Ideology has poisoned these last thousand years. All of these ideologies have ultimately done more bad than good. Marxism and even Christianity, Freudianism. The correct, the correct method, I think, is the phenomenolo phenomenological approach. Collect data, find patterns, draw conclusions, test them back against the original data. Most people who advocate that approach somehow come down. They crash. They find it reduces and insults everything. But I have found real weirdness. The world is very, very, very strange. When we ask the mushroom, and he's talking about he and his brother and his friends, when we asked the mushroom why it had brought its teaching to us, it told me that it was because we didn't believe in anything. <laughs> okay, so that's Terrence describing Whoa. himself, right? Yeah, his, yeah, yeah. Him and his I, approach I, and his idea, sure. his greater perspective, not, not in the nuances of shamanism and what the mushrooms mean and all of that, but, but in, in, a, in a much more, in a much more uh, exterior level, what does Terrence think he's about? Um, and I, I just really like that issue. I like him pushing back against being part of the new age without entirely dismissing every aspect of it, right? I like him pushing back on all the ideologies. I think this is really interesting. He would describe himself often as, a, as an anarchist, but a real anarchist, you know? Um, so now, okay, what that kind of guy, right? If he's probing, if he is, if he is rationally going into these shamanic scenarios and analyzing them and trying to come up with data and testing these theories, what did he come up with? Well, the biggest thing he quote unquote came up with or say brought back or brought back and then refined and distilled is his theory uh, that he kind of wrestled with his whole life uh, or at least half of his life, uh, which has come to be known as the time wave. And Peniel, this is where I'm going to kind of throw it to you. Can you tell us okay we say the time wave what does this mean what is the time wave well at some point you got a hold of the i ching <laughs> right right which we all do you know as you do from time to time you found that by breaking um i forget well it's a codified um nature of time's flow so i don't have the exact math of how he was breaking down each of the num the numbers that yeah um but anyway <laughs> that was me trying to explain uh so the math yeah, part yeah i it. think it's like something to do there's like 64 so there's 64 hexagrams in the I Ching, and then it's like 
Um, he came to understand that that pattern 64 is a pattern that's inherent in DNA as well. And then he, he started to seem like he was understanding that that pattern showed up in history. In right. some way. Yeah, and yeah. he was trying to show that, um, well, as time and novelty goes on, um, increases complexity increases too, but it, like it would peak like a time wave. Some of the time wave, if you follow the graph of it, it would peak in ancient Egypt mm -hmm. and then dip, uh, during the burning of the library of Alexandria. Mm -hmm. Um, and then, yeah, peak back up, I guess in the sixties with him, Peru. And mm -hmm. a lot of it was just, uh, um yeah you, people are picking what has what is novelty what has the most novelty of i don't know the year the month the yeah that's date. that's what was kind of on you that was what was kind of weird about it when you listen to it it's like well okay he would pick these events like uh, one of the things that he thought was important was the uh dropping of the of the atom bomb on japan and that is i mean that is a novel event that never happened before but like um, as Dennis, his brother would say, it was like, well, was the dropping it what was unusual or was it like a year before when they came up with it and did like the first testing? Like when exactly is this novelty point? Right. And then and then how do you decide what else is novel? It's, it's kind of a it's hard. It's a hard thing. It's a qualitative thing. So to say like that's that's the peak novelty and then some other thing doesn't count. It's kind of weird. All right. He said he was trying to redeem history by making it make sense, and like showing <laughs> that it obeyed certain laws, I guess, yeah. which is tricky. I, I just read that he attended Berkeley, and that is the least surprising thing that I'm going to read today. <laughs> oh, we're going to get to it. Yeah, 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 yeah. He attended Berkeley. Yeah, so he has this idea. He has this idea of of, of that history has a pattern, that, that there's a... Um, that there's a pattern to all of this that that and it goes down into like evolution itself has a kind of a telos, right? It has an end point that it's trying to get to. And he would refine this idea over many, many years. And it's kind of the big thing that he struggled with. Right. Um, and we're going to get into, I think, some reasons why that that was it was so important for him to figure out and why it was this sort of uh is sort of his like intellectual Moby Dick in a way, right? Like this thing that he was trying to nail down for years and years and years and really try to understand. Um, and it comes up throughout his, throughout his biography too. So we might as well get into it. Cause Kevin, you talked about Ber Berkeley. Let's kind of talk about where Terrence McKenna begins. Cause we all know he now ends as this sort of uh disembodied voice on the internet that there are hours and hours and hours and literally like uh, 500 hours of terrence i don't even know how many hours of course of right and once you've heard his voice one time yeah. it cuts through your brain you're never going to forget terrence mckenna's mm -hmm. voice nobody it's quite sounds like him he he has just such a unique style mm -hmm. uh and he's right in the edge of like being that guy who corners you in the bar and won't <laughs> shut up but right. then you right. quickly discover he's one of the most interesting educated yeah. unique people you'll ever meet yeah he is sort of one of those guys who like he he could he could be i could imagine there's versions of him all over the country who are not as intelligent or well-read as him who like can do this thing they, they try to take over a conversation right but like he 
you he you wanted him to take over the conversation, right? It's like nobody nobody in the room is going to be as interesting to hear talk as he is, right? Super charismatic in a very particular way. Um, so anyway, Terrence is born. We'll go back to the beginning. Terrence is born uh, November 16th, 1946. Uh, double Scorpio, by the way. I'm going to start doing this every time we do an episode, just out of curiosity, see what their, see what their Zodiac sign is. Um, he grew up as uh, the older brother in this town, Paonia, Colorado. Little, little town in the western slope. Excuse me, about halfway between Denver and Moab, Utah. Even today, only about 1,500 people live in Paonia, small town. Um, he said they tried to name it P- uh, Peony, but they didn't know how to spell Peony. Like it's like very, <laughs> which I, I think might have been a joke, but um, nonetheless, very small town, you know, kind of a cow town, quasi mountainous town. Um, he uh, on one ha- on one side on his on his mother's side, he comes. They come from Italy, so his grandmother comes from Salerno, Italy. Um, and there's like a whole there's a whole backstory of interesting sort of intrigue on the Italian side. Um, uh, but you know, I don't I don't know how much we're going to go into that necessarily. One where, where I think it starts to get interesting is um, Terrence's father. Is born Leadville, Colorado, 1915, and he comes from these Irish uh, Catholic immigrant miners who came over during the potato famine, right? As so many people did, um, and two of his of Terence's, uh, sorry, of Terence Terence's uh, father's aunts became Catholic nuns, um, and one of these nuns would become something of an expert in chemistry, right? So I think I just think this is an interesting a nun who is an expert in chemistry seems to me like it makes perfect sense to be the great aunt of the McKenna boys. Very uh, much. Terrence, yes. Terrence and her brother, right? That sounds Terrence perfect. Yeah. Perfect. Yeah. So his brother, so Terrence's father, there's a little bit of Terrence and we're going to be referring to Dennis McKenna occasionally because Dennis McKenna, Terrence's brother, still alive as a respectable scientist working in the same and in a, at least in an adjacent terrain to the kinds of things Terrence was talking about, though he's a he's a sort of hard scientist, respectable guy. A lot of this biographical information actually comes from Dennis's uh, 2012 biography. It's sort of like a dual biography, sort of an autobiography biography called The Brotherhood of the Screaming Abyss, which is the biography of both Dennis and Terrence. Um, and it, it makes sense because their lives intertwine very uh, intensely, even maybe more so than most brothers do. Um, so, okay. So their father, the uh, 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 Joe McKenna, he's got this, he's a sort of an adventurous guy. He eventually does settle down, but you know, he had like a pilot's license. He was a bit of a BS artist himself. He liked to tell a tall tale. Um, he, uh, but, you know, he after, shortly after they get married to Terrence's mother, he moves to Oakland, California. Right. So they try to go on. He tries to get out of Colorado and go to California. He um, enlists for World War Two. Right. He's born in 1915. So he's right at that right age. Um, he doesn't end up getting. Uh, oh, sorry. He does get deployed. He gets deployed um, and is a top gunner and an engineer on a B-17 bomber flying in Europe, which is interesting because Terrence never mentions this. He talks about like world war ii kind of looms large because it's part of this time wave thing and terrence is born right at the tail end of it 1946 but he never sort of mentions this he's he's kind of light on biographical detail for all of the hundreds of hours in which he's talking um uh let's see during the war um hattie which would be his uh 
uh, wait, Hattie is his. Sorry. Okay. So, yeah. So Hattie is his mom. So um, during the war, she would work for uh, Henry Kaiser of Kaiser Steel, um, which again, he's he's a he's a steel baron. So her mother worked. His, Terrence's mother worked for a steel baron for a time, which I think is also interesting. So he's sort of he's sort of Terrence is from this cow town, but there is also these kind of tendrils of the larger world definitely entering into his life. Um, now, 1946. Uh, by the time Terrence comes around. Joe, uh, Joe, his father has kind of settled in. He's working as a sales rep for an electrical supply company, um, and he's touring around Western Colorado and Northern New Mexico. He's very often gone all, all the whole work week while Terrence and Dennis are growing up, um, which has its implications, as you might imagine. Um, but here is Terrence. We'll have Terrence described uh, by his brother Dennis. Terrence is a child. Um, they would refer to him as terrible Terry because he was very temperamental. He was difficult to deal with. And he terrorized Dennis, like physically, emotionally, psychologically bullied him, tortured him. You know, I don't know how much he beat him up necessarily, but like would tell him these horrifying stories that made Dennis scared of going to sleep at night and all kinds of things like this. Right. It was Dennis relates it as being quite a difficult childhood, having Terrence as his older brother. Um, Terrence is about three, um, three or four. Sorry. Terrence is, I think, five years older than Dennis. Um, and there's a story that happens right before Dennis is born that this is going to be like our first sort of moment of darkness because we are going to find the darkness in this guy's life. Uh, I think it's worth some of the stuff's worth talking about. It's interesting anyway. Um, so Terrence is like four years old, right? He's playing in a sandbox with a, like a neighborhood friend, a boy from the neighborhood. Um and they're playing in a sandbox kind of by themselves, left to themselves. And for whatever reason, uh, Terrence and this little boy start playing with each other's uh, genitals and apparently with each other's uh, fecal matter. Okay. Three or four. They're th three and four years old, right? They're tiny little kids. Yeah. They've just been yeah. left on their own. Okay. Not a big deal, really. Right. Yeah, right. Not, yeah. In and of itself, if you don't pay any attention to it, not a big deal. Mm. Um, but Joe, the dad finds them in this state right C comes across the two boys playing with each other's testicles and playing with each other's poop and like spanks beats and yells at terrence kind of loses it on terrence right and here's a quote from dennis about the impact of this uh quote that was it terrence said when he told me the story that was it between us between terrence's father and he he slammed an emotional door on our father that was never to be reopened, or so I believe, in that one instant. He resolved to protect himself at any cost, to never show vulnerability, and to put his own self-interests front and center at all times. It would seem that, in his own mind, his mistreatment justified his extreme hostility over the years toward our parents, especially our father, and also toward me. As Terrence matured, he got better at relationships, but they were never easy for, for him. He told me this story with a great vehemence and as if it had happened yesterday i am left wondering if this experience had resulted in the loss of some essential willingness to trust in others the story explained my experience of an emotional firewall that i often encountered at the core of our relationship and what i could perceive of his relationship with others as for me he eventually discovered that i wasn't just a younger weaker brother to torture he did express his love for me but only after years of abuse right so 
Um, so this had some effect. Now, Joe Terrence's father doesn't have there's there's not, you know, a long, tawdry list of abusive scenarios from their father. There's really just this one. Um, but apparently it was Dennis perceived it anyway as enough to have caused a compensatory kind of psychological response in Terrence. Sure. That's yeah. Not, yeah. But... That's pretty, pretty heavy. I mean, the fact mm -hmm. that they even remembered it and that it was recounted means that it must have meant something. Right. Uh, right. Yeah. Right. Yeah. A lot so, of people would just get past it or would repress it. Yeah. Yeah. And especially yeah, being that young, three or four years old and you remember it and you're like, I specifically made a, I made a decision then, right? Like at three, you made a decision Ooh. that you were going <laughs> to. Right. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Precocious. Yeah. Right. So uh, time wave toddler, right? <laughs> well, this is, yeah, well, this is, that's, that's very well put. Cause there's, we're going to come up to some stuff about that exact kind of thing. Um, here's one thing that I also found very interesting. One thing that Terrence would say to Dennis from time to time, um, as they're getting older, but they're still in this thing where he's older, Terrence's older brother kind of torturing him. He would say to Dennis, never oppose my will, never, ever oppose my will. Right. So it was very important for Terrence to have control over Dennis when they were younger. And I'm not how many years apart were they? About five. Ah, five. Okay. Yeah. I think that's right. Yeah. About five, four or five. Um, and, and this isn't to say that this is like Terrence's whole and I don't want to project this as Terrence's attitude throughout his whole life, but this is clearly at the core of this relationship that would be one of the most important relationships of his life with his brother, with his brother Dennis. Okay, I gotta stop you. Yeah. What are we talking about for oh, the yeah. Patreon subscribers <laughs> on the After Dark episode, patreon.com slash Art of Dark Pod. Support the show. We are going to talk about the question. We're going to go over what evidence is available and arguments have been made about whether or not Terrence was an intelligence asset. Woo. So I'm not going to give you what my opinion is on it yet, but there is some things to point at for sure. Okay, there so, almost always is. Yeah, well, that's the other thing. You find this out. It's like, wait, is wait everybody works for the CIA? Y yes, pretty much, uh, unwittingly or not. Yeah, yeah. Just for the record, <laughs> we stand the CIA. We are CIA respecters. <laughs> they have, a, you know, the CIA has an official podcast now. I'm trying to get us on there as guests. Mm. Mm. So, all right, they'd call anyway. it the grassy knoll. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Okay, I have my so own take on the CIA thing as well. Oh, do you? Okay, good. Oh, yeah, well, we will talk about it. This okay, is good. I All love right. it. On the on the After Dark episode, every episode gets a bonus for Patreon. We yeah. put the work in, support the show. It starts at three bucks a month. Throw us three bucks, throw us six bucks, throw us ten, ten bucks. We put in a lot of work for every episode. Thank you. Yes, 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 yes. Okay, so Terrence, a couple, just a couple things about his youth before we get him to Berkeley, as Kevin said. Um, he is really and he would talk about this later in life he always considered himself an edge runner so when he was a kid and what that means is he was always trying to find the edge of things this is how he found psychedelics this is how he got to every little nook and cranny of of the world and the mind and of science and of literature that he ever did was this attitude of kind of probing curiosity and so when he was a kid that meant fossils it meant insect collection it meant rocketry um it meant uh, and then you know science fiction and then which he described as the real gateway drug science fiction and from there he found his way into drugs right so you know you kind of wonder how to a kid a little a kid from a little town in 1950s middle of nowhere colorado ends up 
getting into drugs, the first thing was that famous Life magazine article with Gordon Wasson discovering mushrooms. And there's a story of Terrence like chasing his mom around the house being like, what is this? What does this mean? Pointing at, like pointing at that Life magazine article that's become kind of this famous thing. And, and, and for us to understand what that was like, we didn't have this huge stigma about psychedelics in the 1950s when that Life ma- famous Life magazine came out because nobody was doing psychedelics in 1958, right? There wasn't, you weren't, it wasn't like, oh, well, you know, that kid down the street, he blew his mind, you know, he burned his sure, mind on yeah, whatever. You had, you had Artaud maybe, had been to Mexico. Very, it was that, very little stuff. It had not little. crossed over yet. Especially yeah, the, in the, the public. The yeah. three-letter agencies had not yet flipped the switch to get the kids hooked on LSD right. and shrooms and things yet. Right, yeah. right, right. So, um, so Terrence goes through this period. He begs and pleads with his parents to let him move to California for the last two years of high school, um, and he is so persistent about it. This is the thing, and this is this is Kevin something that Terrence has in common, I think, with a number of other subjects we've covered on the show. Terrence ends up getting what he wants and and not in a spoiled brat kind of way in a like persistent strategic you know sometimes manipulative way he gets what he wants and so he does end up going to california for um junior year of high school he goes and he stays with um, an aunt and an uncle um this does not go well because he ends up losing his virginity to the mother of a friend it causes a whole scene um, he goes back to Colorado. It's possible this woman even came to Colorado and like tried to like, quote unquote, rescue him from his parents again. But the, the story is very muddled in like McKenna family lore. So it's wow. Fun. Yeah. yeah. Well, these yeah. are these are we're starting to get into some of the light motifs of our show here, right. aren't we? We've got right. some young man with serious uh, scatological daddy issues uh, mm-hmm. who ends up having a, an indomitable will which mm-hmm. is something that many of our subjects seem to have mm-hmm. they get their way mm-hmm. uh precocious mm-hmm. and then sexually kind of not not no- sexually abnormal yeah, uh, I, it, yeah within within one standard deviation of normal but maybe mm-hmm. a little unusual in terms of just the story uh, of it. Yeah. yeah, true. I, yeah. you know, yeah, losing your virginity to a, your friend's mom is a little—that's a little far out in the fifties, <laughs> I would say. <laughs> I would in the fifties. Yeah, 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 yeah. It's a little right. far out now, yeah. I think. Yeah, yeah. That, this would yeah. have been. Yeah, this would have been like sixty-two, but he but doesn't strike me. Yeah, okay, sure. Yeah. Well, okay. Yeah. Well, the the Beatles were around right. the corner. Right. Right. Uh, he uh, not 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 that that has anything to do with sleeping with milfs. Right. <laughs> <laughs> I want to hold your mom's hand. <laughs> but I, I, I this is good because you're painting a picture of this oddball. He doesn't strike me as somebody who went to prom with with Nancy down the street. No, right? no. And yeah, his reputation, yeah. I mean, part of the reason I think he got out of Paonia is not only because he was constantly seeking novelty and you run out of novelty in Paonia, Colorado, pretty quickly if you're aggressive about it. Another thing was that he was not particularly well liked among the other, you know, he, you know, he probably went to a high school of 100 people or whatever. He was not particularly well liked. He does claim that he kind of developed his gift of gab by talking himself out of situations as like an adolescent, right? Just like, we're going to beat you up, Terry. And he would just like rail off some weird story and it would be kind of fun, you know, like just being able to kind of push back on physical aggression through, through, you know, conversation. The other thing too is this is a very, 
for people who aren't familiar with Terrence McKenna, he is not he doesn't present in the most in a, what we would think of as like a stereotypically masculine manner, right? He's, he's kind of thin. He's very like intellectual. He's very, you know, he, he's very verbose. What's that? Elfish. He's, he is elfish. He's kind of an elf. He's, 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 he's kind of a nerd's nerd. If really you look is. at him. And yeah. I, I say that that's not a pejorative. No, I have nothing but, you know, I have very a lot of respect for him. But yeah, he this is how he presents himself. Now, he's in Paonia, Colorado, where the rite of passage is, Terry, you're going to have to go out and shoot an elk, you know, and it's just not his bag. This is mm-hmm. not, he kind of mm-hmm. doesn't belong there in, in a mm-hmm. lot of ways. So this makes right. sense that he's trying to go to California. Now, after that first year in California, where he sleeps with the, with the friend's mom, he comes back and then he manages to finagle his way to go stay with somebody else for senior year. He ends up going to Antelope Valley High School in Lancaster, California for his senior year. The only reason I bring this up is because Frank Zappa and the Captain Beefheart guy graduated from that high school five years before. So Terrence McKenna, though not at the same time, went to the same high school as Frank Zappa, which I just think is is just an interesting historical. That footnote. feels right. Yeah, that feels right. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah, that's that squares. <laughs> right, right, right. So okay, so <clears throat> Berkeley. Uh, he ends up in Berkeley. He ends up in Berkeley in 1965, um, which is. You know, this is the height of things in a way, or at least the beginning of the height of things of kind of California counterculture coming out of the Bay Area mid to late mid mid to the late 60s. Um, I had to hear in a note. Yeah, a very uninteresting and unremarkable time and place. Right. It's like um, every so much came out of it. There, there, the list of people, other people who are in that sort of those zip codes at that same time just goes on and on and on and on and on. Um, uh but here's where we get into the first thing that we may uh, we might we may or may not talk about it much in the after dark. But here's where a first little asterisk goes: intelligence asset. Terrence McKenna was part of something called the Experimental College at Berkeley. So within Berkeley, this guy Joseph Tussman started something called the Experimental College, um, that was a sort of a short-lived program that Terrence and 150 other freshmen were brought in to see if it would work. You didn't really have traditional class structures. You read intensely. And most of the class, uh, most of the coursework was just you having conversations, group conversations. Ah, boy, that sounds a little bit like uh, what they did to Uncle Ted. A little, maybe a little different. (laughs) I don't know. Who knows? I'm not not saying that everything is MKUltra. So, Uh, no. Well, Kevin, do you know, and Pinel, you may know this, do you know uh, Ted Kaczynski's whereabouts in 1967? Was he at Harvard at the time? He was or at was Berkeley at the Berkeley. time. Berkeley. Ah. <laughs> Wait, is, is Uncle Ted, Uncle Ted's still alive, right? Mm, yeah. Okay. Yeah. All right. I mean, he's not, you know, sure. you can't like go hang out with him, but. No, right. But we, we can't have can't, him on as a guest. We, we can't do. Yeah, yeah. I want uh, I want uh, Teddy K to come on and do a darkroom episode about Virginia yeah. Woolf. Right. Uh, <laughs> He'd probably have some things to say. Yeah, I think he would. Okay. Okay. Well, that, that's right. So he was at Berkeley, too. Was he part of this experimental? Well, no. So Ted Ted came to Berkeley as a as a lecturer. Ah, okay. So I don't know Ted's birthdays. I don't think. Yeah, he was in a, a, a program like that where they made him. Uh, write down all of his uh, kind of a journal thing, and he'd read it back to the class, the the certain select people at 
Berkeley, and then yeah. uh, they'd make fun of you and like read it back to you uh, and try to like hit you and just wait. Are you, are you talking about Ted like, or are you talking about uh, oh, Terrence? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I think that happened at Harvard. Um, oh, was it Harvard? Yeah, my, yeah, I'm pretty yeah. sure it was at yeah, Harvard. Yeah, yeah, yeah. They kind of tortured him a little bit at Harvard, but not to derail. I just think that's interesting when they when it's they tap relevant. you on. Yeah, when they tap you on the shoulder and you're a freshman or you're new anywhere, and they say, "Hey, we've got an experimental program. Do you want to sign up?" Right. The answer is always like, "Should you do heroin?" The answer yeah. is always no. Oh, I would do out, dude. If I was a freshman, they're like, "Do you want to go to this experimental college?" I'd be like, yes, yes, I do. <laughs> okay, you gotta think. You gotta think. There's some ego involved in that too. Mm. Somebody decided that Terrence was a good candidate for this. Fair enough. Right. right? Somebody okay. said, "Hey, this guy's got something." Uh, who knows mm. what it was? You know, he okay. was very well read at this time already. He's an obsessive mm. reader. Um, okay. So, uh, and I'm sure he made something of an impression on that class as well as you could imagine. Right? It's it's you know just smoke weed all day and come to class and talk about books. It's like you know, it's it's Terrence. It's definitely perfectly fit for Terrence. I think in a lot of ways, he's coming um, into his own here in California. Yeah. 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 So um, there are, and, and here's another, here's, here's the kind of a thing that develops. So he's in, he's in, you know, he's going to Berkeley as these two years come on, he actually starts to develop a little bit of a crowd coming over to his place and listening to him talk like already. I mean, he's not getting paid for it. This isn't him going to Esalen Institute or anything later, but he's getting a reputation as being like, let's go hear Ter what Terrence has to say. And you and your buddies would go over to Terrence McKenna's flat and smoke some weed, put on a record, and Terrence would talk for three and a half hours. <laughs> and, you know, this is when he's like 18, 19 years old. So I, I think that's interesting. He's sort of, he, there's no sense in his mind that this is a career or anything. This is just what he likes to do. He's almost doing like little salons and mm -hmm. at the risk of being a little on the nose here. Thank goodness there weren't podcasts at that time. <laughs> uh, right, right, no, right. Or maybe maybe it's a pity that there weren't, but who knows? Yeah, I mean, yeah. He, he seems like somebody, and we'll get to this at the end of the, the show on our final question, but he does seem like somebody, but like, wow, if he had a podcast, holy moly, look out. Yeah, yeah. yeah, and, yeah. And, and now the big a big credit to his ability to do this, and this is the more I read about him, the more I came to understand him, the more this made sense to me, is the fact that cannabis has the opposite effect on him than it has on most people. For most people, smoking pot doesn't make them, it, it, it may even make you talkative, but it doesn't make you more coherent, right? It doesn't spin you up into this like extroverted uh, ability to just rap. Um, and for Terrence, it was, it had that effect. It turned, it, it was, it, it allowed him to, um, talk for hours with energy to make lateral connections between things that may maybe not have been connected. He was able to made him able to think out loud, but also in a very articulated way. This was sort of his magic weapon. Um, and now some of these ideas that he comes up with out of this um, sound a little ridiculous to us, maybe. Um, but there's also always more thought went into him than initially thought. And maybe this is a good time we can talk about the stoned ape theory, because this is another thing that he's sort of known for, the quote unquote stoned ape theory. And Pinial, maybe you can give us like broad brushstrokes. What is the stoned ape theory? What does that mean? Just <laughs> a theory of possibly 
back in the day when everything was perfect for us. We were walking around eating mushrooms. Um, yeah, and then eventually we follow the mushrooms, follow the cattle, um, follow the food. <laughs> Your brain and yeah, linguistics begin to emerge. Um, they have a better tribal sense of everything. Um, they're breeding more, they're <laughs> hunting better uh, yeah, 100,000 years ago. Yeah. Stone date. Yeah, yeah. There's a lot of like, I think it, it, it's easy when you don't dig into it. It's like Terrence is saying that people ate shrooms and all of a sudden they became human beings. And he actually like, he entangled it with like a lot of different things. It wasn't, it, the language was part of it, but that was only really part of it. Like, and he would link it to like, things like, um, there are studies that show at like low doses, you are you have greater visual acuity. Like you can oh, without a doubt see better, right? Yeah, so colors are brighter. Yeah, yeah. So of course, there's an evolutionary advantage to that. How could there not be, right? Mm. And, and then also like a little bit more, and you, you become really horny. Well, that's got an evolutionary advantage too, right? Like he would describe all of these effects as having greater and greater evolutionary advantages. And then of course, yeah, at some point it does like kind of f flow over into linguistic capacity. And, and it stands like to well. reason too, you would build rituals around it. There would be the guy who would maybe take more than the other guys. <laughs> right, and right, that would right. be, he would start to have a certain role in the community. Maybe he wasn't the best hunter, but he, right. he could take the most mushrooms. And then right. suddenly he's, uh, he's uh, recording a podcast right. <laughs> or he's, <laughs> <laughs> he's telling he's telling stories for for ten hours while everybody else eats the meat and he's right. etc. Or she right or she yeah. or both yeah or yeah, both. They're yeah. The, the freaky couple that lives at the edge of the camp yeah yeah and so so I think the the theory gets a lot of a lot of grief because it sounds when you don't dig into it too deeply it sounds a little ridiculous but like these plant these mushrooms are out there and their their effect on you is pretty dramatic so to think that they don't have some role to play it, to me seems a little uh giving it a little bit short shrift now is it this like without mushrooms you wouldn't have human civilization I, that seems maybe a little grandiose i don't know but um it, the the interesting thing about it in terms of terrence is how he pulled this together is he's he was so familiar with so many different um scientific cultural historical and uh uh, pharmacological realities that he was able to kind of pull all this together and go, hey, wait a minute, like this actually mushrooms, you can fit mushrooms into slots in all of these different disciplines and it all kind of makes sense. Um, and that's the sort of that's the sort of thing he was so good at at, at thinking through, even if He's ultimately it becomes an unfalsifiable theory. It's still interesting. He kind of had a pre-internet hyperlink brain and was very syncretic and mm -hmm. put almost like a, that Hesse novel, the glass bead game. Yeah. Somehow. Yeah. Where, yeah. I think, yeah. I think that's, I think that's what put. we take X, we take Y, we take Z and we come up with something brand new. Yeah. I think, I think that's really well put. And in, in stoned ape theory in particular is a good example of um, how I think cannabis was something of a superpower for Terrence, whereas it might not be that, you know, it's different for everybody, right? But I think for Terrence, it was he was intelligent and articulated, articulate enough. I mean, 
whatever you think of him, we're talking about somebody whose verbal IQ is through the roof, right? I don't think anybody can deny that. Um, you know, even if you think he's a lunatic, he's clearly some kind of verbal freak. Yeah, historically, the Irish maybe uh, got a raw deal, <laughs> didn't have much. Uh, yeah, there yeah. was a thread going around on the Bird web- website last night. The guy eventually <laughs> deleted it because he was getting absolutely bodied in the comments. We are at Art of Dark Pod. Yeah, this fellow, this economist from India asked why Ireland wasn't as uh developed and rich as say England like in why the 19th the industrial... century particularly. Yeah, in the 19th yeah. century why didn't yeah. uh, Ireland match England and yeah. he just got mangled like people could not even believe it and suddenly you're seeing names like O'Shaughnessy and right. Kelly and, <laughs> just coming out of the woodwork you know, O'Connor <laughs> just everybody just ah piling on I didn't know whether he was trolling or not I thought, uh, well, yeah, not to get into it. I thought he was trying to, I thought he was trying to play a little game personally, but yeah, knows. but then he deleted it. So yeah. who knows? Very, very yeah. strange. But we are the, the, the Irish question, the IQ, if you will, will, uh, <laughs> <laughs> well, did I just come up with that? Uh, so. Will, yeah. will uh, figure heavily on our next episode, which is going to come hot on the heels of this mm-hmm. one, uh, re Francis Bacon, but I'll, I'll, I don't want to derail you, Brad, but yes, the Irish do have a certain degree of verbal and linguistic acumen, uh, which a tendency. Uh, is, yeah. Yeah. Well, yeah. so there you go. Yeah. 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 So he's clearly, I mean, he's clearly an arch example of that. Um, I mean, you talk about Tim Leary and, and, and this isn't a Tim Leary episode. I think if you give Tim Leary's best talk plus public talk, it doesn't hold a candle to Terrence McKenna's best talk just in terms of variety of ideas and weirdness and interestingness. And, and I, I, I think Terrence McKenna as a speaker um, is a far more interesting person personally but we're going to talk about Terrence Leary, uh, Tim Leary at some point on this show because uh that dude sent a shockwave through American culture that very few other people have maybe nobody else has done so um but he's definitely in that tradition so um anyway talking back Terrence McKenna's life two years at experimental college end 1967 he doesn't have a degree yet but the the experimental college thing was experimental so it was only two years um he decides to hit the, the the hippie trail. Now, before he hits the hippie trail, something happens. He gets his first hit of DMT in 1967. It's given to him by an unnamed person from the Stanford Research Institute. Oh. Is, so hmm. nothing fishy there. Yeah. Um, <laughs> and then he hits the hippie trail. What do you guys, what do you guys know about the hippie trail? Does that mean anything to you guys? <laughs> Not to me personally. Not no, a thing, no. but I can not a thing, but I can smell it. <laughs> I know it smells crazy. It in smells there. like body odor, patchouli, <laughs> weed. Yeah. Uh yeah. A little bit, a little bit of all those things. Yeah. 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 Um is it a term you've fam- you've heard before, Kevin? Believe it or not, no. No? Okay. So yeah. so the hip- the hippie trail was kind of a kind of a big deal. It's something that a lot of people have went on. It's a sort of an alternative tourist route through Turkey, Iran, Afghanistan, India, and into Nepal. Started ah, in the mid-50s, went okay. into the late 70s, right? So lots and lots and lots of people went on this. First beatniks. Is, is this 50s. like Led Zeppelin, Kashmir, that kind of vibe where they all yeah. went east, like the Beatles ended up yeah. there? And Okay, all yeah, right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay. I think the Beatles yeah. did like a, a tour, like a very tourist version of this, but like mm-hmm. 
lots of people. And if you talk this is, to this is like the, yeah, this is like that period where uh, you know your your father you know gives you five uh, percent of your inheritance as an advance, and you can go mm-hmm. live in France for five yeah. years on it yeah. somehow. Yeah. yeah. So instead, what yeah. you do is you go hike. You know, you go on this trail and and at the time there were like like you would basically be traveling with other Westerners, you know, like and you would stop in towns and it'd be little hotels and hostels and things like that. Oh, I'm, sure like the, I'm sure the locals route. love that. I'm sure they just hey, man, love that. Money, yeah, hey, yo, you're getting those money. Uh, greenbacks. Yeah, it's yeah, money. Yeah. It's mm-hmm. money. So, um, you know, in memoirs from like the 60s are replete with these hippie hippie trail uh, hippie trail stories. Right. Like thousands of people did this thing. It's not you know, it's not that. Um, but but eventually it did kind of come to a close. Uh, mostly that it started closing down when Nepal, under pressure from the United States, outlawed cannabis entirely. Because for a while, Nepal was like the best place in the world to get hash. It's still <laughs> these kind kids of, and their devil weed. Yeah. It still kind of is, but like it's not it's not legal anymore, you know. But at a while for a while there, you could just like go and like just you just walk into a town and you'd have hash within minutes, right? Um and then, you know, then, of course, there was a revolution in Afghanistan and a revolution in Iran and all the countries along this route became a little tumultuous. And so the hippie trail kind of just closed down. But Terrence hit the hippie trail pretty hard. He ends up in the Seychelles Islands. Um, and the reason he ends up in the Seychelles is he was smuggling hash home. Terrence McKinnon was smuggling hash home. Lots of hash. Nice. Um and yeah, we do a little you, crime. We do a yeah, little crime. Yeah, like yeah. I say, this is a true crime podcast. Mm-hmm. There has not been one artist we've done who hasn't committed at some point in their life or their death yeah, a crime. Yeah, yeah. Yes. Let me let me give you a, a little bit of a story. Terrence talking about smuggling hash. Quote: I had a phase in my life when I used to smuggle hashish out of India, and I used to go to the Crawford Market in Bombay with kilos of gold strapped to my body. The Crawford Market Sea is a labyrinth. I would, uh, after a while, after leaving my taxi, I would come to a child whom I was supposed to meet who would lead me by the hand through this labyrinth of streets to this Muslim gangster called the Baby Elephant, this huge guy draped in gold with his lieutenants around him. And they were always very happy to see me because we were going to do business. They were very helpful. And yet this was a criminal enterprise. I never fully trusted them. We also had to smoke tremendous amounts of hash while we were dealing. But you were also perfectly aware that they could kill you at any moment and there would be no consequences but because, consequences because they had all of Bombay paid off. So it was this very ambiguous thing. The general, uh, and then he relates this to, he's talking about DMT when he tells this story, but um, the general mythology of elves is very much like this thing in Bombay. So you see, elves respect intelligence. The way they relate to intelligence is to set you riddles. They're all about language. If you're stupid, they'll put you to sleep for a hundred years, you know. But if you can solve their riddle and riddle in return, then they think you're a fine fellow and let you crawl back to the pub. So I, I like this story because it's it, it tells us in pretty succinct terms about his dealings with hash, but it also tells us what we what Terrence understands to be important as a human being surviving. He thinks I and it, he might be right that like wit can get you through a lot right you can survive if you can if you can if you can dish it out if you can talk if you can figure things out on the fly you're you you'll be all right and that's true in experimental college at tusman that's true talking to a gangster in india who you're about to make a hash deal with and Mm. it's true when you're talking to the self self self-transforming machine elves in hyperspace right see those guys 
sales guys make the most money. If you're a good <laughs> sales guy, you can do anything. Yeah. 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 So, so, uh, you know, I think Terrence, I think Terrence had that experience. And I think he kind of believed that now the hippie trail thing, like I said, he does get, we're going to talk a little bit about this more later. He's smuggling hash back home and it gets busted on stateside. Um, his brother and some of his brother's friends are sort of on the receiving end of these shipments. And one of these shipments gets caught. Dennis almost does some jail time, but it never really pans out because like it's not technically it, Dennis was never really in receipt of it. It was one of these friends and it's all a little ambiguous exactly how it went down. But ultimately, they officially the United States government or a, a local police force, at least, and probably the FBI had Terrence's name as a international hash smuggler. And because of this, Terrence was afraid to come back to the United States for a number of years. Part of this time he spent in the Seychelles writing his first book, uh, which he did in a very interesting method. What he did was he planted uh, he planted some cannabis and he decided he was going to write this book the entire time the cannabis was growing. And then when it was finished growing, he would be done with the book and he would smoke a bunch of weed. He did do that. When the book was finished, he smoked a bunch of weed that he had grown and decided the book was totally garbage. <laughs> so he so he ends up rewriting it um, and, and traveling around. Um, there's another period where he goes to Nepal and he and this might be a little bit earlier. And he decides he gets very interested in um, the sort of pre Buddhist, uh, I guess, indigenous religion of Tibet, which is called bone and. Uh, and bone, all the folklore and aesthetics of bone are what play into Tibetan Buddhism. So the, a lot of that Tibetan Buddhist art, the angry Buddhas and stuff, a lot of that aesthetically comes from bone, which is not a Buddhist religion. Interesting. Right. Mm. Terrence was convinced that he had picked up the trail, the scent of uh, the use of hallucinogens in ancient Tibet. And he had decided he was going to learn Tibetan in order to figure this out for real. Like the, there, there's a bit of a megalomaniac. In oh, here. yeah. 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 <laughs> yeah. Yeah. But he's also, again, notice he's insanely curious, right? He's right. 20 years old. He's in Tibet and he decides, you know what? I think I'm going to stay here until I figure out this like grand historical religious mystery. It's a very like it's a very I wouldn't do that, right? <laughs> I'm I'm here to fuck some moms. <laughs> Discover the the nature of of Tibetan religious thinking. Not necessarily in that order. Right, right, right. <laughs> but so he but nonetheless, he does this for months and then he what he he realizes is like this is, project is way too big for me like he can't really it's not really going to happen so it ends up just being like another one of these sort of interesting things that he kind of studied and pursued as far as he could and then it was kind of time to time to hang it up and move on to the next thing Can um, I just add that yeah. um, while he was doing that in Tibet uh, Nepal mm -hmm. he had his rooftop yes. sex experience but yeah talk also, about that he saw when he looked into this like weird purple sex love liquid he saw the face of that tibetan monk his lama and he was like looking back at him and he knew that he was sleeping a couple miles away 
Yeah. Like he was there. So like I have this little drawing of him there. So I just wanted to put that in. Oh yeah. No, he had this, Terrence had this, uh, he, I think how it worked, he had taken, brought some drugs with him. And I mean, he was kind of running out by this time, but he and a woman that another, I think she was English. She wasn't Nepalese by any means. She was a Westerner of some kind. I think she was English who he'd met out there. Um, they did DMT together and he was like already on LSD, I think. And they had this insane, like, you know, the highest anybody's ever been sort of situation. And in part of it, um, this purple psycho fluid was uh, instantiated, let's <laughs> say, um, according to Terrence. Um and they had sex in the midst of this. And there's a very, he, um, Terrence has a, a book in which he does have a passage about this called, the book's called True Hallucinations, um, which is mostly about his experiences we're going to talk about in a little bit in La Chirera, but deals with this. Um, and it, it's just, it's a funny, it's a kind of a funny story because it's, it's, it's in one hand, Terrence is like, yes, yeah, so I was there, you know, I'm trying to study um, the, the, the ancient roots of the bone religion. And also I'm just doing a lot of drugs and having sex with other travelers. Right. It's like both things are true. Right. Uh, <laughs> but there is, well, we'll talk about it. Well, let me, let me plant this here. One thing that happens is this rooftop sex thing that happens in Nepal is he somehow ends up wearing the girl's underwear and they're not sure how this happens, right? I guess it's not really that big of a deal, but we're going to see why that's a big deal when we talk about La Chirera because it actually does, it's like biographically significant in a, in a certain way. Okay, so Hippie Trail. Eventually, he uh, Terrence ends up in Japan. He's teaching English. He hates it so much. He doesn't like living. Well, he, I think he likes living in Japan at first, but eventually he gets sick of it. He travels on a fake passport to Canada. And so he's then living in British Columbia. This would be like 1968, 69. Um, and he's he's uh, you know, he's he's trying to make like kind of make a living there. Um, and then so. But, but th this kind of starts to draw to a conclusion. His, his sort of time being an expatriate, an illegal expatriate starts to kind of come, come to a close. But and we're going to talk about La Chirera, which is maybe the most significant biographical thing in his life. But I want to hit one note first. 1969, his mother is diagnosed with bone cancer. She had had breast cancer several years before and had gone into remission. And now it came back. She had she had bone cancer it was pretty serious. Um, they were trying to take care of it, but ultimately, you know, it's the sixties that they the treatments aren't as great, you know, maybe as they are now. Um, and she's, she's dying. Um, Terrence is up in Canada. He's living on a fake passport. And when it starts to get really bad, he decides that he's going to try to push it. He's wanted in the United States. As far as he knows, he's afraid that Interpol or the FBI or somebody are going to arrest him the moment he walks off the plane. But he decides he's going to do it anyway because he wants to see his mother before she passes away. So he flies from uh, Vancouver to Los Angeles first. He's trying to get back to Paonia, Colorado. And while he's on that flight, his mother, um, at the age of 57, passes away. Now, he's partially traveled, right? But his mother has just passed away. And the risk he thinks he's running is that he's going to end up in prison because he's coming back to the United States. Now, his father knows about this and his father makes 
like a whole bunch of phone calls really goes over the edge to try and get Terrence to go back to Canada before he goes, goes through customs in the United States, before he gets his passport checked in the United States to make, try to keep Terrence out of jail. This apparently is successful. This stuff must have been way, in a certain way, it's harder to pull off back in the 60s because you don't have cell phones. But in another, like the security is way looser. Like, like it's just bizarre to me that you could even make this happen. But apparently Terrence goes back to Canada. So he flew into Los Angeles airport, didn't leave the airport, gets back in, in a plane, goes back to, uh, goes back to Canada. Um, it's kind of a crazy story. Interestingly, interesting that his dad who had no who did not have any patience for this drug stuff that both Terrence and Dennis were up to didn't literally did not like it uh, thought they were crazy, you know, totally disapproved it of it. He was dead set on his son not getting into legal trouble, which I think is kind of sweet, honestly. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, OK, so now after this, it's like 1970, his mother dies the next year. Um, after, you know, Terrence has had this DMT experience, it's blown the doors off everything. We're going to talk more about what DMT means to him. Um, uh, yeah, let me actually read, let me actually read the one statement from Terrence about DMT. It plays into La Chirera, And then we're going to talk about La Chirera. Um, because, well, I'll, let me just give this to you from Terrence. So now, Kevin, as you said, Terrence McKenna is like, perhaps the biggest popularizer and mythologizer and articulator of what DMT is. And for people who don't know, DMT is a super powerful hallucinogen. Um, it's the active chemical in ayahuasca. Kevin, go ahead. Well, I was just going to say he's sort of like uh, St. John the Baptist to <laughs> Rogan's Christ in terms of DMT. <laughs> Joe yeah, okay. Rogan, the yeah. Bropra. The bro Oprah, the, the, the greatest, uh, one of the greatest podcasters of all time. Yeah. Died on the, on the cross for DMT. Mm. And, but he would never, I doubt he would have ever encountered it if it had not been for Terrence. Probably fair not. to say. That's so there true. you go. This is what a burnt out DMT vape looks oh, like. Oh, okay. Oh, yes. All right. Oh, yeah. Somebody's so, okay. All right. Well, all we're right. going to have you, we're going to have you talk more about it because I have a question for you at, after, after I read this thing from Terrence, I have a question from you, for you, Pinyol. Um, Okay. So Terrence is, yeah. So Terrence is well known. Many, 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 many people, not just Joe Rogan were introduced at least to the concept of DMT through Terrence talking about it. Right. So let me give you one of his one of his raps that I think maybe encapsulates it in the smallest amount of words. The thing about DMT, quote from Terrence McKenna, the thing about DMT that is the most astonishing and the most appalling and its most definitive characteristic is that for a lot of people, you burst into a place that is absolutely swarming with some kind of intelligent life. I call them self-transforming elf machines. It is definitely an elf place. You thought you were going to get the white light or you thought you were going to get a, a Huxley-esque aphorism on, you know, form and void. And no, you've got 16 elves trying to get inside your clothes in this broom closet in hyperspace you've stumbled into. It's very odd. My personal model for all this is that it's a series of con- concentric shells. All psychedelic experiences lead into this elf-infested, elf-infested backwoods place, but most psychedelics can't quite carry you there. 
a lot of people go to that place on DMT, but when they come down, they have no memory of that part of the trip because at, at that moment, when you encounter this tribe of, tribe of elves, your choices are pretty stark. You have to either immediately jettison everything you've ever believed about reality, or you have to embrace the idea that you are now absolutely crackers. For me, it was an easy choice to make. I want to learn from these things. They are not merely observing these elves. They are waiting for you, and they will immediately start speaking to you in a language of the visibly beheld logos. These elves, which look like jeweled self-dribbling basketballs or something, they start to sing. They start to sing in these crystalline, high-pitched, warbling voices. And that voice condenses as objects and words and other little beings. And when they offer you these objects, a single one of these objects, if you could bring it into this room, would change the course of the world forever. So that's what Terrence thought about DMT. And now he would talk about it many, 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 many times in many ways, but they often, they generally had this flavor. This is, this is the, this is the, DMT folk. The, this is the folklore of the DMT realm that that Terrence McKenna articulated, and which many other people have repeated. And so, I want to ask you, Peniel, mm -hmm. is this does this jive with your experience of DMT? <laughs> right. Um, certain aspects of it do. Yes. <laughs> Sometimes it like these DMT pens. You can't break through on them. Mm. I found, and then everything I've read about them online. Mm -hmm. No, you can't break through. Um, what does that mean when you say break through? What yeah, is that? like break the ceiling. Like when you are still conscious, but you do go to that other place mm -hmm. um, and everything around you is completely changed. Um, so they've heard this quote referred to as the waiting room ah. versus the uh, versus the yeah, the full what, what Terrence would call the DM versus the DMT flash as Terrence would call it, I think. Yeah, I did have just this or last week i uh fasted for a few days and i was vaping this and i was having like just really good self-aligning just laying there like meditating going through stuff like mm -hmm. some stuff more powerful than other and then uh ate just junk food all day one day <laughs> sugar and stuff and i was vaping and it was at night and it's just like everything changed there's just anxiety all in my body i could feel and the there's this big hovering presence right there and I had to wow. open my eyes and it was still darkness and I had to get up. <laughs> I took myself, it was just, ah, the sugar. I just, I'm finding the sugar is just, yeah, just added just this extra uh, anxious level, level to everything. Yeah, I think, uh, you know, uh, sugar might be a worse drug for you than DMT. <laughs> <laughs> I think. Um, uh, yeah, it's interesting. I, you know, Kevin, you mentioned that like Joe Rogan's like maybe the biggest popularizer, but like I've heard him describe DMT experiences and he basically just says what Terrence said. And then I kind of wondered, mm. like, is he mm. I, I'm not saying Joe Rogan didn't do it. I'm not calling Joe Rogan a phony. I'm like, is he it, did he have that experience because he was primed by Terrence McKinnon to have that experience? <sighs> I my right. See, because language is a spell. Mm -hmm. spells spelling glamour grammar all of that business yeah. so if you expect a certain experience prior to doing the thing i could see terrence's charismatic language really coloring your experience i in minecraft saw uh, the devil mm. on on dmt or a devil mm -hmm. then a ufo landed on my head mm -hmm. a big 
fractal crystalline UFO mm -hmm. and I pierce through it into mm -hmm. the chamber, so described, mm. I did not think of the beings as elves. Rather, I read it as a kind of holy guardian angel. Mm. And the creatures together formed the angel. It was like an angelic choir of light. Mm. And they were urging me to commune with them. And I did. Mm -hmm. And mm -hmm. uh, it was a wonderful, wonderful feeling. So a mm -hmm. similar experience to what Terrence described, but I put my own yeah. language on it. Yeah. I, again, I don't I don't know that I like the word, the phrase machine elf. That wasn't really my experience of it. Yeah. Uh, but I could see how someone else might think of it that way. Terrence was kind of scientifically minded, minded, right. wasn't he? So, well, well, this yeah. is this is what I started to wonder. It's it's like it's like Joe Rogan maybe is primed by and other people who claim that they have the self transforming machine elves is kind of primed by Terrence McKenna, and Terrence McKenna is sort of primed by like pulp sci fi, right? And, and that's not to water it down. It, it's it's just like it, it's just like well, like when you have a dream it's your brain is representing stuff mostly versions of stuff you've already seen it's like that's the material that it has to use right and and so if your material is pulp science fiction then maybe you see it a certain way and if your material is something else you know then you have it have it a different way um uh, you know, right. I, if you're if you're a baker, you might go, oh, the cosmic donut. <laughs> you, really? Told Seriously, me that though, we needed to make more Bavarian cream filled donuts. Right. Because Terrence was always talking about like, well, what they want you to do, what the entities want you to do is they want they want you to teach them something. They're going to teach you this this visible language and yes. then they want you to trade a meme back with them. That's 100 percent what happened to me. But I yeah. read it as almost like prayer is how mm. I read it. Now mm -hmm. I could have been irreparably damaged by the Catholic Church, the one true faith. Well, that's faith. true. Yeah, you've got a and, Catholic, and so I have my own sort yeah. of yeah problems. You'd have uh, your own. Well, you'd have your own sort of aesthetic dimension to the whole thing, right? Mm -hmm. yeah, 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 right. So, mm -hmm. um, so I, I thought mine, mine, of course, is correct because <laughs> I was <laughs> right, right. Everybody else, everybody else is just insane. But what I went right. through. Right. Totally In right. my experience, which is the correct experience. <laughs> right. Right. Well, OK. Well, hopefully if I <laughs> I'm, if gonna I ever... I'm never I'm never going to make it through grad school again, again like no. this. Uh, you know, am no, I? You're not. Yeah. If I ever do. I, yeah. If I Kevin, if I ever do DMT, uh, maybe I'll have your experience. We'll see. Well, that's just um, your experience. Right. Brad. <laughs> <laughs> so let me give you one other. Let me give you one other thing about DM, uh, his description of DMT. And the reason I'm hitting this is because it's like one of the most things he's most well known for. Right. Um, here's another thing him talking about DMT quote DMT is zany it's like a Warner Brothers cartoon it's all in fun but these guys might be so rough that their idea of fun might be to hand you four sticks of dynamite on a short fuse uh, it's interesting he's another thing he said uh, it seemed to me that the entities in there are like meme traders that's M-E-M-E -E. Uh, they're in there and they show you all this stuff it's the equivalent of trade goods you know beads and baubles to trade with the, the natives in Newtonian space that's you and I we're the natives in Newtonian, Newtonian space and the elves are saying, wouldn't you like this? Take a look at this. And you're like some poor Amazonian Indian being shown fountain pens where you when you turn them upside down, ladies and dress, you know, but what it, what but what we um, but do we have what they want? I'm not really sure. So he 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 thinks of it almost like a, 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 a 
population of entities that you can interact with under the influence of DMT. That's that's how he would relate to it. And 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 unlike a lot of people, a, a lot of people I know um, referring to their DMT experiences are perfectly willing to hedge and sort of say, this is all in my head. It's felt real, but it was in my head. Um, Terrence doesn't talk that way. Terrence is like, no, there are some things out there in hyperspace and this is the way to get there is through DMT. Um, so interesting, I think. <laughs> I would say almost infinitely interesting. Um, and Terrence would often also be surprised, be like, I don't understand why this isn't a bigger deal. Like, he'd sort of be like, don't you understand what I'm saying? How is not everybody doing DMT right now? Like, he would he would sometimes almost seem confused by the fact that this wasn't a front page news story, you know, which I, I always thought was kind of interesting. Um now, the one issue that he'd had in the 60s with DMT, the one sort of question he'd had was, well, it's such a short lasting experience. And for people who don't know, it lasts, you know, between five and 15 minutes with the, the peak of it being, you know, in that five minute range usually. And Terrence and his brother Dennis were like, well, can we somehow, we want this to last longer. Like this isn't, you, you can't really get there doing it this way, right? You're in and out so quickly that you can't process it. And again, Terrence <laughs> wants just, to- The complaint of, millions of women all throughout <laughs> all throughout history like it's over it's already over yeah yeah talk about a machine elf oof oh boy so so terrence and dennis it's not the size of the machine elf that counts <laughs> it's the self-transforming of it <laughs> right. or something right yeah. <laughs> um so, so terrence and terrence and dennis who again total nerds uh, of the best sort they're trying to, you know, trying to figure out what they can do to um, prolong the DMT experience. They read in an article by Richard Evans Schultes, who is a famous and really the first ethnobotanist. Um, they read an article from him about a DMT containing snuff called Okuhe uh, in South America. And so what do the, the McKenna boys decide to do in 1971? Terrence McKenna is, uh, what, 25 years old. Dennis is about 20. They decide to go with some of their friends to find this remote mission in South America. This is uh, would lead to the period in Terrence's life that he wrote about true hallucinations called, excuse me, called the experiment at La Chirera. Neil, what can you tell us about the experiment at La Chirera? Well, they were a, a simple version would be they're trying to blend uh, harmony, uh, tryptamine and a, a human being together. Mm. Um, and um, here, just uh, go back to you. Let me find. OK, the, yeah, the, yeah. The, well, the one thing, let me give you so there's a little bit of like the lead up to the experiment itself is kind of interesting. So they, they go and um, they don't really know. They kind of know where they're going, but this is pre-internet. So you're kind of going on like speculation and rumor. And like, you talk to this guy who did this thing. And so they do land here. They end up having to do this like four day overland jungle expedition to get to this place, La Chirera. and they're kids. They don't have a lot of it's, it's Terrence, then his brother, Dennis, it's this girl named Ev, um, 
or sorry, it's this girl named Vanessa who had formerly been involved with Terrence romantically, but they weren't any longer. And then it was this um, this couple that had broken up. Uh, this guy named Solo and his ex girlfriend named Ev. Solo was like the hippiest hippie that ever hippied. Okay, so he he traveled. He wouldn't eat. Uh, he was a fruitarian, which that's fine. Um, but he wouldn't even use a metal knife on fruit because he believed it would damage the essence of the fruit. So he would use a wooden knife to cut like a piece of fruit. Who is this? This is uh, a guy. I really uh, think Terrence would call him a friend. That was part of Terrence's sort of traveling group when they were going okay. to La Charrera. Right. And he traveled. This solo guy traveled with like a bunch of like monkeys and dogs and cats and stuff. And they're like, dude, you Whoa. realize we're traveling through the jungle, right? And you know he's got like <laughs> okay, and he would at when times did claim... when did Reagan uh, shut the asylums down in California? <laughs> that was in the seventies. I think right? it was. This was nineteen seventy one. He might have been okay. he might have just met, just missed it. Right. Um, yeah. But yeah, so he's traveling, and and a lot of true hallucinations. The book is talking about like, man, this solo guy was really getting on our nerves. And at one point in this overland jungle trip, Solo's teeth are like rotting out. Um, probably because of some hygiene practice he like thought was spiritually irredeemable or something. And uh, so they send Solo back and to like go to um, the like go back to uh, Bogota or whatever. Um, and as far as I know from reading True Hallucinations, they never heard from him again. Like they he just like walked like that was the last they heard of Solo and they literally like literally never con never heard a word from him again, which is yeah. sort of funny, yeah. eerie, more, yeah. more innocent times. Yeah. 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 Now here's the thing. They, they go down to La Chirera. They are seeking DMT containing, containing snuff, snuffs called Okuhe. They don't find it. Okay. So what is this? What is this? What is the story here? They don't find what they're looking for. So they just go home. This is not the case. They find a tremendous, bountiful harvest of uh, psilocybin-containing mushrooms. Everywhere they look, there are psilocybin-containing mushrooms. Every There are cows all over the place. Every cow patty has a cluster of psilocybin mushrooms. More than, you know, it, it, as many as you wanted there, there, that were there. And this was another thing that's interesting. Kevin, you know, you and I, in the generation we came from, the lowest hanging fruit of psychedelics would be if you were when you were 18 years old, the easiest hallucinogen to get your hands on was probably mushrooms. I would say Robitussin. No, Robitussin. Yeah, no, it doesn't, well, okay. doesn't qualify. Don't yeah. do that. Uh, no, don't do yeah. that. Uh, yeah, well, right, yeah. Mushrooms. Like, Everybody. Yeah. Yeah. yeah you if get you knew a dude, like yeah. if you knew a dude, there'd always be some guy who yeah. maybe have a certain odor, yeah. uh, a certain kind of hair. Generally, right. the hair might not be that well kept yeah you get your hands uh, on it yeah and you just say oh i'm interested in in uh have you heard of this band pink floyd oh yeah, yeah. i like pink yeah. floyd and then yeah, yeah. Oh, and then you, you find out that he's got a closet he lives in his grandmother's place it's not clear whether he's 16 year old uh, 16 years old or 26 years old you can't tell that yeah. guy you want to find that guy yeah yeah yeah, yeah. yeah. he yeah. might work at a hardware store Right. Uh, yeah. You, know, <laughs> you have an exact. Right. You have a very specific person in mind. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, there's a, that yeah. guy is in every town in in yeah. 1999. 
That right. guy's in every town. He um, might even be the the karate man in town. The karate right. man might be interested. <laughs> the guy who runs the the karate studio in the strip mall next to the yeah, folks, kids, youngins out there. Place. If you're looking, um, that's a good place. You want to find store. yourself a karate man. <laughs> okay. Okay. Yes, you're right. Now, the point I was trying to make in 1971 in South Terrence's in South America, Terrence had done DMT. He'd done plenty of acid. He'd been smoking weed religiously every day for day for years. Um, he had never eaten mushrooms. And the reason why it was very difficult to get your hands on mushrooms in 1971, California. Um, and so I just thought this was interesting. It, you know, he'd done this. He, he was seeking DMT. And, and instead of that, they end up uh, they were seeking this very specific snuff. And instead of that very specific snuff, they end up just eating a lot of mushrooms. And Terrence and Dennis concoct this experiment after days and days and days of eating mushrooms. And, uh, you know, maybe you can kind of pick up there like what this experiment. <laughs> and, 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 and here's the thing. We're not going to be able to explain exactly what they were doing because I don't think they even understood exactly what they were doing. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I read I read Terrence's account and I read Dennis's account, and this is what I've come up with. Okay, good. So they were taking yeah, they're taking the mushrooms, they're adding in harmony, and then harmonize. Um, mm -hmm. and then Dennis is uh, just like yodeling. He's howling. <laughs> He's singing. Mm -hmm. He's, and they're trying to merge these uh these three Ds, these four Ds, everything. They're trying to get it together. And then there is a quote he said, and like what it would what they were kind of ending on, landing on, it'd be a miniature universe, space and time that magically has all of space and time condensed in it, including one's own mind, a map of the cosmos so real that is somehow is the cosmos. Like, yeah. That's just, yeah, they're. Yeah, it's. Yeah. And so I, they, and you hear them both describe like what they were trying to do at different times. Now you have to remember Dennis is also a very reputable. He, he would be go on to become a very reputable scientist at this point. He's 20 years old. You know, he's, he's not, he's not the man that he would eventually become. Um, Dennis is actually sort of the subject of this experiment. And, and, and part of what they were doing, the way that Dennis would describe it is he was going to try to integrate the DNA of the mushroom into his own DNA uh, through vocal harmonics. Um, and by doing this, um, Terrence would describe what they were trying to do as creating something called the Philosopher's Stone because Terrence is obsessed with Western occultism. Um, and so his he was his idea was they were doing real alchemy. They were going to create a thing that would be in the actual world that would somehow bring history to an end. <laughs> and I know this sounds uh. a little nuts. Um, and it is a little nuts. Dennis would later go on to say it was kind of nuts, though it was a sort of a learning experience. Um, I think the shortest, easiest way to say it is Terrence and Dennis got as high as two people have ever gotten in in, in in history okay i really and, and, you know i gotta get a theremin that i can yeah. put over here and, and play <laughs> periodically yeah let me i'm gonna go on yeah. uh angie's list and see if somebody's giving away a theremin yeah now i don't I, I i don't mean to i don't mean to say that to demean it because i think i think they were trying to do something that was not ultimately possible but there was 
there was something there that they were probing at the edges of. They were trying to bring everything that they knew at this time, uh, Terrence 25 and Dennis 20, into into concrescence. And, and Terrence was trying to do the thing that he talked about, which was go into the shamanic realm and bring something back because he's a scientist, right? He wants to verify and prove that what happens in the shamanic space isn't just a dream. It's actually something that's happening, right? So the idea is try to bring something back. Now, I don't think they bring anything back. However, some weird things do happen. One thing that happens is apparently they have like one big mushroom in the middle of this hut the night they're doing it. And when they wake up or when they kind of start coming back to they both Terrence and Dennis both look at it and they see a planet. They see the big mushroom as a planet as planet Earth. Um, and Dennis makes a comment about how the again, remember, they're thinking that they're going to somehow end history, not in an apocalyptic way, but like break humanity out of time somehow. <laughs> through creating the philosopher's stone this moment uh, this this object of such immense novelty that it sort of breaks reality out of its frame somehow um now dennis makes a point about seeing the mushroom and the planet he makes a point that the mushroom cloud of the atom bomb is some kind of grand historical visual pun that the mushroom that you eat and the mushroom cloud are the same thing. And they talk about this as being the visual representation of what they would call the eschaton. Okay, Kevin, you know, you know about the word eschaton, right? It's become like a Twitter. Yeah, I have. Uh, yeah, I think I, I have a Substack that I don't do too much on, although I kind of yeah. want to change that at some point. Yeah. You can find me through the uh, artofdarkpod.com website. Yeah, I think I called my Substack ex eschaton. Yeah, the yeah. the yeah. end of and days. You've heard, yeah, the and you've heard times. the phrase. Yeah, you've heard the phrase eminatize the eschaton, right? Yes, I that's think, a good warm up. I think Vocal Terrence in, I think Terrence invented that word talking about what they were trying to do with the experiment at La Trevera. What's funny is that they may have accomplished that. This is yes. Yes, this is my point. This is they didn't they didn't accomplish nothing is the point that I want to make with this. Okay. So, now here's the thing. You take a bunch of drugs I, I'm going to say hang on. We're yeah. going to immunitize our Patreon. patreon.com/artofdarkpod. Go on, Brett. <laughs> okay. So they do this experiment. They get super high, whatever. Uh, you know, everybody's been there where they've kind of pushed it too too far past the limit. They've been, e they've been eating mushrooms. They, they, they also were drinking ayahuasca um, in combination with this, but apparently it's fairly low dose. They were um, also leading up to this. They were doing something very interesting that I'd never heard of anybody doing. They were actually smoking ayahuasca. They were smoking ayahuasca vine, which is, I'd never heard of anybody doing that before. It's very interesting. Um, but anyway, they have this moment, the big moment, the the experiment at La Chirera, and there's all kinds of sort of pseudo magical components to it. But this is the thing. Dennis like never comes down. The next day, Dennis is Dennis would describe himself as being smeared across the universe. And as weeks go by, his per perspective gets smaller and smaller and smaller and smaller. But when it starts, he is smeared across the universe. And apparently he's he's saying that he's talking to some intelligence that they would call the teacher or they would call the mushroom and they could query it and it would answer any question that they had and that this period lasted forever. Right. So super high. This okay. makes me think of Crowley and his talking with aliens and alien intelligence yeah. and all the rest. Yeah. Very yeah. curious. 
Dennis has what he calls a phone call with his mother from 1953, where he like literally like communicates with his mother. She's answering the phone in 1953. Terrence claims that he actually has a memory of this phone call happening back in 1953. I don't know what that's all about. Dennis, at one point, remember when I was telling you about Terrence on that rooftop? He ends up wearing that girl's underwear. Remember that, Kevin? I pointed that out. He has this whole drug experience back in Nepal. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I was, as as yeah. that was happening, I was thinking more again about Francis Bacon. There are these yeah. uncanny parallels yeah. because, uh, well, anyway, go on. Yeah. At one point, Terrence, never having told this story to anybody because it was kind of embarrassing, Dennis, Dennis turns to Terrence and says, you're wearing my knickers. <laughs> Whoa. You're wearing my knickers. He imitates okay. this moment. He relives this moment that he had no no access to right okay so uh (laughs) um at one point um they're talking about uh, and as weeks go by they think they've succeeded but that the um philosopher's stone is in the future someplace and peniel if i'm getting anything like any other stuff you want to add in just holler at me uh the they um in so they think they've created it, but it hasn't quite happened yet that it's in the future and they're still coming towards it. Terrence keeps pushing Dennis to create something like show him the thing, the philosopher's stone, the what is this thing you've created and you're making for us? And Dennis sitting in his underwear in the middle of the jungle starts talking about this box that their grandfather had, like an inlaid wood box. It's like an heirloom and the key had been lost for years. And Dennis says something along the lines, or, or um, Terrence starts talking, they, they're talking about this box. And Dennis at some point says, well, would you like, I don't know who, who said what exactly, but at one point, one of them starts talking about the key and then Dennis slaps Terrence's hand and puts a little silver key in it. That is purportedly the same key that went to the box, right? Years and years and years later, middle of the jungle in South America, sitting in his underwear, Dennis happens to have the key to a box that they're talking about, right? Um, Now, as this time goes on, Terrence is apparently not sleeping. Terrence claims he doesn't sleep for nine days, right? Um, Which I don't even know what that means exactly. (laughs) Like, I don't even know how you can do this. Nine days without being tired. Um, and as it's drawing to a close, Dennis is Dennis is uh, Dennis is getting a little bit better as time goes on. And Terrence is insistent with the rest of the group that all he needs is time and that if they take him back to civilization right away, it's going to actually be worse. He just needs time to compress to come back to being Dennis. Um, and for a while, the group goes along with that. Until the point where Dennis slips away and he runs into the mission center and he's ringing a bell and the the very small mission police force kind of get involved and it and, and it ends up that they have to leave. But like the last night before they leave La Charrera, Terrence has this vision of a UFO. Okay, he sees this UFO rising up off the horizon, and purportedly he's not doing drugs anymore. Like they ate, they hadn't been continually eating mushrooms. Like they. They had done it, and this is the multi-day after effects. Terrence sees this UFO, and he says it looks like uh, a famous UFO that's called the George Adamski UFO, which is a hoax, and which Terrence knew as a hoax and believed to have been a hoax. So I know that seems, okay, what's the big deal? 
this to Karen's was stranger than if he'd seen a UFO, because if he'd seen a UFO, then, hey, there's UFOs. That's like it's crazy, but it's a it's a UFO. There's aliens in it. OK, they exist. It's all cool. But imagine seeing what you know to be a hoax UFO coming out. It's like he was projecting UFOs out into reality. Is from his perspective, like to him, it was a very much like Carl Jung would say that that UFOs are actually projections of our own anxiety about the close the about scientific materialism closing the doors on the mystery, and so we project a mystery out there. That's what Terence thought he was doing was actually making this thing come out of his mind and show up on the horizon, and it was showing up as a as a hoax so that he would sort of know that it wasn't a physical plant uh ship from another planet but he was actually sort of like rending reality in some way so anyway that's i thought that was all pretty interesting the whole experimental atrier thing is pretty crazy and that was know, in was that in peru uh this would have been in colombia 1971 oh, okay latrera colombia okay. yeah yeah. Was, I, yeah yeah the um just the ufo thing i wanted to yeah mention please in that in 1966 up, up to the 70s and before there was um the same it was ufo with orange lights um orange on it with blue lights coming out from it mm -hmm. and it was uh seen by several witnesses at the site where uh eventually they it was one electrician was found dead there the one year and then the next year two got two more were and they all um they're part of uh, the scientific spiritual movement in the 70s. Uh, yeah, it was called that's, that scientific sounds... spiritualism. And they were all found with uh, like these sunglasses on. They were trying to make contact with Mars. And they all like, I don't know if the drug, they took these tablets before they did. And they all ended up dead. So I'm not oh sure God. if they were like, if there was some sort of electricity going on or it was just the tablets. But right. yeah, it was the same like orange and blue UFOs going on in brazil same same kind of yeah same kind of ufo that terrence saw right, right. so yeah. yeah so there's something there's something going on and here's the thing about ufos terrence was not like a big ufo guy like i said in the beginning he's not really into this new age stuff it seems like he should be but he's really not like he was very dismissive of like the the 80s and 90s like ufo cult kind of stuff um he thought it was a he his attitude was like why would these tri ships travel light years to reach us when they can just reach you interdimensionally like why would you see a thousand ton beryllium ship in the sky it doesn't make any sense right um so there's a couple of things so la experiment at la Chirera, it's really easy to say say that nothing happened right like okay you guys just got really high and it got kind of scary and kind of weird and then you came home and that was it and it's not really that big of a deal. However, um, Terrence would then go on to have this career, right? And Dennis would go on to have this career and become a very well-respected scientist in realms of, you know, ethnopharmacology and ethnobotany and all these other things. Um, I think Dennis ends up having like three PhDs or something like that. Like he's a, you know, he's a, he's a, he's a heavy hitter in this world. Um, and the, and the real science aspect of these things, um, Here's another thing, though. So, okay. So they go back. Terrence goes back to Berkeley. Um, he does end up having... Uh, he does end up deciding when he gets back that he wants to go back to Berkeley. And, you know, as I said, he... Uh, 
he thought he was on the run from the police still when he's down in Colombia, even right. He's traveling on a fake, a fake Australian passport and all of this. He decides that in order to go to Berkeley, he's going to have to finally like face the music on this whole, this whole uh, hashish rap. Apparently he and his dad go to some FBI branch or something in Colorado and he turns himself in and it takes him a while to even like figure out what he's talking about. Right. So the story is that Terrence has been on the lam running kind of scared, traveling on fake passports for something that nobody really even cared about. Dennis says that he thinks that Terrence ended up with a three year suspended, uh, basically a three year probation with no requirements to like meet with anybody. Like they basically per Dennis and Terrence, it kind of just disappeared in a puff of smoke. Yeah. The parole officer didn't want to sit and listen to him talk about elves (laughs) in his head. For 90 right. minutes right oh. <laughs> right now so terrence goes back terrence ends up going back to berkeley he's got this cool job which to me sounds really cool so one thing when terrence had been traveling like the hippie trail and various things one thing that he liked to do is like cover to make himself seem innocuous but also he would d- did it genuinely would he, he would collect butterflies so he would go someplace and he's in pursuit of like a kuhe in south america he's got a butterfly net and, you know, he just looks like an eccentric, uh, you know, eccentric Westerner out catching butterflies. But he was able to kind of parlay this interest in insects and things that he'd always had into a job mounting butterflies, which apparently paid really well. So he's living in Berkeley. He's mounting butterflies. It's a work from home job. So he's he's literally mounting butterflies. Butterflies show up and the equipment, the materials show up. He mounts them. He's just smoking weed all day. People are dropping in. He's talking to them while he mounts butterflies. And he's like making a reasonably good living at it um, in the early 70s. He's also writing. Uh, he and Dennis are writing um, a book that would eventually come out. That was called uh, Invisible Landscapes. That was like a eight an attempt to write a sort of a pseudo scientific a treatise on what happened at La Chirera. Um, This is where this would be the first time in text that um, Terrence would start to articulate the time wave because he got the idea, the initial idea for the time wave at La Chirera, though he didn't feel like he quite, you know, he didn't really understand it yet. He hadn't quite brought, brought the I Ching to bear on it yet, but this is all sort of starting to happen in the early 70s. And then Terrence did Terrence and Dennis together uh, in about 1975. They put together what is probably their biggest impact on the broader culture. A little book called the magic mushrooms, magic mushroom growers guide. So Kevin, here's the thing about this. If you Google right now, how to grow mushrooms. That book appears. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. And if it if it doesn't appear, you will come find yourself on a forum that will give you a methodology for growing mushrooms that is more or less copy pasted from Terrence and Dennis's book. Pretty sure that PDF uh, is <laughs> widely circulating. Wait, so it's their book. They wrote it under pseudonyms, but he did the yeah. forward. Is that the idea? Okay. Yeah, they wrote the forward and they wrote the methodology and they figured out how to do it. Like, so this is the thing they so thanks guys thank you it's it's (laughs) it it seems insignificant in a way it sort of seems like silly but like literally nobody knew how to grow mushrooms before this yeah here's this uh about the philosopher's stone experiment we have not um condensed the stone 
into visible space, but we have generated in we have generated it in our heads, teaching the uh, teaching in, in the flesh. It was not a, a condensed hyper object, but a teaching. So like, yeah, like, yeah. So every time he teaches. Right, right. That's the thing. It's like, okay, they did this experiment at La Chirera and it's silly and all they did was get really high and get scary. But they also wrote a book that taught the rest of the world how to grow mushrooms. So like and and how to and, and it's interesting how they figured out how to do it. They are such nerds that Dennis, I think it was Dennis found in some obscure scientific journal a little article about preparing Fung fungal samples for testing in a laboratory setting right and it's some obscure thing probably 15 people had read this article and terrence and, and terrence and dennis were like i bet we could use this to grow psilocybin mushrooms they brought some spore prints back from south america and they started testing this method and it's basically the method that you will find now for the the easiest way to grow some amount of per, a personal amount of mushrooms and they put so they put this book out in 1975. Um, I just think this is really interesting that like they they kind of went the next step of like instead of like, hey, you know, mushrooms are cool. We had this cool experience. People should do them to like, all right, let's publish a book about how people can grow this stuff in their closet. Not only that, um, 1975 comes around around when Mush Magic Mushrooms Growers Guide comes out. Terrence gets married to this woman, Kat Harrison, who um, an amazing woman in her own right, um, who's still around. Um, she started uh, she and Terrence started this thing called Botanical Dimensions. And we'll talk about that a little bit later. Um, but very early sort of the proto version of Botanical Dimensions, what they did was sell spores. So you would have in 1976, you would maybe buy a copy at some head shop or something of the Magic Mushrooms Grower's Guide. And the last page would be an advertisement to have spores mail ordered to you from Terrence's company, Terrence and Kathleen's company, Terrence and, Terrence and Kat Harrison's company. So, I mean, he I, he's as responsible as anybody else for making psilocybin mushrooms like a thing that people uh, a cultural event and a cultural right and it thing. can't be overstated the impact that this has had this is like this is huge when it you really think of is. all the people who have been impacted by the use of psilocybin mushrooms and what they've gone on to do Mm -hmm. uh and how it how it affected the culture this is a major moment it, it really is and the more i got to thinking about it and the fact that before he went to la Chirera, terrence had never even eaten mushrooms right like you couldn't get them in berkeley mushrooms weren't a thing in hate ashbury there was acid there wasn't really a lot of mushrooms around um uh, and just in, in, in that Terrence kind of bridged that into this next, into the late seventies period where then it became a thing. And if you did mushrooms yeah, and, and if you're listening to this and you did mushrooms in high school or more recently, somebody probably used Terrence method to grow them. hundred percent. Yeah. It's very uh, the guy from the hardware store I mentioned earlier. Yeah. <laughs> uh, and so, yes. And the politics of this too are quite interesting because acid is, man-made acid yeah. is yeah. artificial right. mushrooms grow, grow in cow right. shit right their right. own naturel mm -hmm. so there's a very interesting dynamic at, at, at play here uh yeah yeah, yeah. 
Yeah, let me read. Let me read. So the, a lot of the Magic Mushrooms Grows Guide is a, 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 just instructional manual for how to do this. It's fairly straightforward, whatever. But let me, the foreword is quite interesting. It's written by Terrence. They wrote, Terrence and Dennis wrote this book um, initially under pseudonyms. Later on, it'd be published under their own names when they had, you know, less to lose, I suppose. Um, but let me read you the foreword, which was written by, or part of the foreword as it was written by Terrence. Our method is scientific but our opinions about Strophoria cubensis, that's the mushrooms, are not. Our opinions in this matter do not rest upon the opinions of others, nor upon anything written in any book. Instead, they rest upon the experience of five dried grams of this psilocybin mushroom. At, at that level, a peculiar phenomenon occurs. It is the emergence of an uh, I-thou relationship between the person taking the psilocybin and the mental state it evokes. Jung calls this transference, and it was a necessary condition of early and primitive humanity's relationship to its gods and demons. The mushroom speaks, and our opinions rest upon what it, tells, uh, what it tells eloquently of itself in the cool night of the mind. The mushroom says, and he's speaking as the mushroom now, I am old, older than thought in your spe species, which is itself 50 times older than your history. Though I have been on earth for ages, I am from the stars. My home is no one planet, for many worlds scattered through the shining disk of the galaxy have conditions which allow my spores an opportunity for life. The mushroom which you see is the part of my body given to sex thrills and sunbathing. My true body is a fine network of fibers growing through the soil. These networks may cover acres and may have far more connections than the number in a human brain. Excuse me. My mycelial network is nearly immortal. Only the sudden toxification of a planet or the explosion of its parent star can wipe me out. By means impossible to explain because of certain misconceptions in your model of reality, all my mycelial networks in the galaxy are in hyperlight communication across space and time. The mycelial body is as fragile as a spider's web, but the collective hypermind and memory is a vast historical archive of the career of evolving intelligence on many worlds in our spiral star swarm. Space, you see, is a vast ocean to those hardy life forms that have a, the ability to reproduce from spores, for spores are covered with the har hardest organic substance, sorry, excuse me, the hardest or organic substance known. Across the eons of time and space drift many spore-forming life forms in suspended animation for millions of years until contact is made with a suitable environment. Few such species are minded. Only myself and my recently evolved near relatives have achieved the hypercommunication mode and memory capacity that makes us leading members in the community of galactic intelligence. How the hypercommunication mode operates is a secret which will not be lightly given to humans, but the means should be obvious. It is the occurrence of psilocybin and psilocin in the biosynthetic pathways of my living body that opens for me and my symbiotes the vision screens to many worlds. So he is called constructing a mythos and he would eh, sort of walk back this a little bit later in life, but not really. He's constructing a mythos of the mushroom experience, just like he does with the DMT experience, right? He's the articulator. He's the guy who can go into the space and come back and articulate something of it, right? whether we choose to agree that he's makes sense or he's right, or it's true. Um, it, it, he's gone beyond like, and it was crazy and it was fun. Like he is definitely, he's, he's, he's trying to do what he would do later in the archaic revival, where he's trying to use this, these substances as a pathway to understanding like the deep myth, uh, myth, almost mythological reality of being a human being.
Yeah. Yeah, no big deal. Can I also say... <laughs> Uh, (laughs) can i also say we have a a small but growing telegram channel if you're interested in connecting with us uh you can find that on our website at artofdarkpod.com all the links are there brad runs a a very hopping twitter account Mm -hmm. uh and and we love hearing from people and it's the telegram link is pretty easy too it's just t.me slash art of dark pod if we get something wrong just pretend you didn't hear it no we we like (laughs) we like to make corrections uh you know uh, i very famously got uh hp lovecraft wrong i conflated his place uh i I put him in baltimore rather than rhode island and Mm -hmm. oh gosh you know i but whatever we're not we're not perfect uh one of our one of our new uh patreon subscribers just described himself as a para academic Oh, I like that. Uh, and I'm like, mm, that's good. Yeah, I would say that yeah. we're we're para-academics, Brad. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. Okay, well, anyway, yeah. just a yeah. little, quick little pause to say we've got a, we got a chat going. So I like that. Uh, oh, I and, like that. and by the way, oh, and Peniel, the art you did for, for McKenna here is dynamite. Might be the best I'm, one yet. It's oh, very the cool. the drawing one that Kat drew? Uh, not the drawing one, okay. but the, the sort of... About. The one where he sent it a while back. Yeah, yeah it's, it's been a while. Yeah. We've been yeah. we've had this, but the, he's seated in a yoga pose and he's oh, got yeah. three eyes and oh, tremendous. Very uh, good. Maybe the best way we're we're on all the various different channels. We're on YouTube, I, iTunes, Stitcher, Spotify. Chuck us some money if you can't chuck us some money. I don't know what you're doing. Uh, you know, get a job. I'm kidding. <laughs> uh, but uh, you know, give us five stars. Go on to Spotify. Give us five stars. Give, give us five stars on iTunes. Say hey, this show doesn't suck. It's not mm-hmm. just another podcast. It's an effort pod. We mm-hmm. we lift heavy. Uh, if you want to see Peniel's art, you can go to the website uh, at Art of Dark Pod. But Spotify also really does a good job of curating podcasts. Mm-hmm. And, and it looks very cool. And, and the way we have this set up is that all the core episodes are colorful. They all have her colorful psychedelic portraits. We, you know, we take an existing photograph and she adapts them and makes them look cool. And then when we do our our darkroom episodes, those are kind of black and white and grayscale. And I kind of do a collage thing for those. But uh, you know, mm-hmm. our core episodes are are by far, far and away the most popular episodes. But don't sleep on the darkroom episodes. We've got some really good guests, and we we take a subject and we go kind of deeper into them, typically with somebody who's either well, always passionate about the subject, mm-hmm. but has maybe some different angle, you know? So those are fun too. Don't sleep on those. Yeah, yeah. Well, those are good. The last one we had, Bernard Joy, he's, a, got a, he's just finished his thesis on William Faulkner, right? He's a very, very perceptive and interesting guy with a kind of a unique take. So, you know, mm-hmm. try to get figures. I like to say we we bring on people who know more or the, know more about our subjects or know our subjects differently than we do, Right. So even if they just have an interesting take on them, that's worth exploring for an hour. That's that's often um, how it goes. So, um, so yeah, no, thanks for that, Kevin. You, you, that's uh, that we need that because I, I start steamrolling here, man. You can tell I'm getting into the zone. I'm getting, well, yeah, I'm getting, we're I'm channeling yeah. Terrence McKenna, who you know who could talk for four hours at a stretch. We're going so. into hour three, hour three of yeah. the pod. Yeah, yeah, remember when we did Burroughs at the beginning and yeah. we got sixty shut minutes it down and, after an hour. Yeah, yeah. Oh, this yeah. is really going long. Isn't yeah, it? yeah, yeah, uh, yeah. <laughs> mm. Okay, so. We're talking about magic mushrooms grow magic mushrooms magic mushroom growers guide. Um, 1975 that comes out also biographically significant for Terrence because uh, Terrence 
and Ev, who the woman that he met in uh, was with when at La Chirera, um have broken up. And Terrence is now in a relationship with Kathleen Harrison, Cat Harrison, who would end up being the mother of his two children, who he would end up being married to um, until uh, 1992. Ultimately, um, they would have two children together. As I said, Finn, who was born in 1978, Clea was born in 1980. These are people who are out there. Um, Tao Lin. Yeah, yeah. Finn's an artist. Uh, Clea, I believe, is a photographer, I think. Um, she anyway, they're, they're both they're both people who are sort of, you know, they're not much older than us. Right. They're they're out there. Um, Tao Lin, uh, the great writer Tao Lin did a whole series on Terrence McKinney. He interviewed both of them fairly recently. And I've got one little bit that from Finn that I think is interesting to talk about. Um but anyway, so this is a this is a this is a 1975 is kind of a watershed for Terrence because Magic Mushrooms Growers Magic Mushroom Growers Guide comes out. Um, even though it's under a pseudonym, he's now becoming sort of a known guy. He starts to get on some rate like local radio shows talking. His book, their book Invisible Landscapes, comes out, which is like a big ends up being like a big hippie kind of thing, right? Because this is about going to the jungle and doing a bunch of drugs. I mean, it comes out in the seventies. It's like, what better than this? You know, Jerry Garcia read it. Like it was, a, it was a, it was a little, it had a little bit of its own cult following by 1983. Um, Terrence is invited to this conference at UC Santa Barbara, which is like the big, the biggest psychedelics conference of its time, like academic conference, people like Sasha Shulgin spoke there. Albert Hoffman spoke there, like the luminaries of the psychedelic scene. Terrence was like the sleeper hit of the UC Santa Barbara conference in 1983. His talk was called, um, what was it called? Oh, I hope I have it here. Hold on a second. Um, Monkeys discover hyperspace. That was the title of Terrence McKinnis talk at this event. Right. And 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 it was it was the hit of the conference. All of these other luminaries are talking. Terrence McKenna, relatively unknown, at least compared to somebody like Terrence, uh, like Albert Hoffman or Sasha Shulgin. Um, and he be, this is when he becomes kind of a wonderkin. Then it's like, oh, Terrence, can you come talk to this thing? You know, he becomes a figure who is going to be invited to places to come and talk. And people are going to sort of sit there just slack jawed, not even knowing this is this is the Terrence that we know where he's sort of inaugurated. Right. If you if you listen, if you search diligently for Terrence McKenna audio uh, about the earliest you're ever going to find is 1983, 1984. That's about as early as it ever gets. Um, and that's coming kind of coming right out of this time. Um, yeah. Uh, OK, so so this is kind of Terrence McKenna coming into his own. He would write more books and we'll talk about that a little bit. Um, he also I didn't know this until this most recent he would have end up becoming um, he ended up going on Art Bell's show a bunch which I thought was interesting and I, I for some reason I had missed that cannot yeah. wait to do Art Bell <laughs> yeah he's a sort of a, he's a sort of a favorite of mine for sure um, now his whole thing you know obviously Terrence is kind of known for the psychedelic thing um, as the 80s progress he would become really well known. Um, at, Kevin, do you know about the Esalen Institute? Is this a name that's familiar to you? Does that have something to do with Lily? 
Lily, Lily Lily passed through there. Yeah, John C. Okay. Lily passed through yeah. the Esalen Institute among a number I, of other I've, people. I've heard I'm smelling patchouli again. Yeah. I'm I'm picking up the vibe. Yeah. We're gonna talk more about the Esalen Institute in our after dark, which is all about uh determining whether or not Terrence McKenna was an intelligence asset. And figuring out what Esalen Institute was all about is a big part of that. Now, Terrence McKenna was a fixture at Esalen once he started going there. He was a uh, scholar in residence for a couple of summers in the 80s. And he talked there many times. Probably if you go on YouTube and you search Terrence McKenna talks, probably something like a quarter of those talks are going to be at talks he gave at Esalen. Okay. So this is a big factor in his, and it's this, it's this institute right on the coast, big Sur, California, Henry Miller territory, <laughs> um, where, you know, there's a big house and you can, you know, rich people go there to have retreats, uh, and things. And there's, it's still on, like you could go this weekend to a event at Esalen Institute. Um, it's still around. Um, and it, it, it's an interesting place. Like I said, we're going to talk more about it in the after dark. Um, did you have anything on Esalen Institute, Peniel? I thought you made a you made a face. Oh, sorry. No, <laughs> no, no, it's all right. <laughs> if you don't, we're gonna talk about it. I have a bunch of dirt, maybe dirt. I don't know if it's really dirt. It's kind of dirt <laughs> on Esalen Institute. Um, now, one thing I wanted to make a point about too. We're talking about Terrence McKenna. All this psychedelic stuff. It's all about you know. It's easy to fall into this trap that. Everything that Terrence said or talked about was directly related to psychedelics. Um, I, the more you dig into it, it's not really the case. Um, he did talk about it a lot, and he was one of the best articulators of it. And he was he was um, not only an advocate for psychedelics, but he was sort of uh, raised up as kind of the patron saint of the psychedelic community. I mean, he would end up in the late '80s and early '90s. He would end up on like albums. Right. Where they have his spoken voice, he would perform, quote, unquote, unquote, perform at raves where, you know, you'd have like electronic music playing and he'd be reading something. Right. Um, but it wasn't always psych. it wasn't always about psychedelics. Let me read you a little bit of a passage uh, that doesn't really have anything to do with psychedelics. This is from Terrence. When you look at the history of the universe, if you look with unbiased eyes, I think what you will see is that the universe is a novelty producing and conserving system of some sort. The early universe was so simple that, uh, and we're now going with science here for a minute, we're asked to believe that it sprang from nothingness in a single moment, that its diameter was less than that of an electron. And then in a very short period of time, a number of very dramatic things happened, but they are all couched in terms of an expansion and cooling. From the moment the universe is born, it begins to cool. And as it cools, complexity magically crystallizes out. The original universe, uh, in the original universe, there weren't even atoms because there were such high temperatures that atoms could not stabilize themselves into orbit around atomic nuclei. So there was what's called a plasma, just a soup of naked electrons. And then gradually, as the universe cooled, the simplest of all atomic systems was able to form the hydrogen atom. And these hydrogen, hydrogen atoms were produced in staggering amounts, and they began to clump together. And this is tricky, but not our problem. This is a problem for science. They don't know why they clumped, because it should have all been smooth right down to today, but it isn't. So in this clumping process, of course, great temperatures and pressures were created at the centers of these masses of hydrogen, and a novel process, therefore, could spring into existence, the process of fusion. And fusion of hydrogen and early stars cooked out heavier elements, iron, sulfur, and especially carbon, 
Well, after that, then you get all these atomic species and then they can aggregate into molecular species. And then because of the presence of four valent carbon, very complex molecules called polymers can form. Some of them acquire the uh, quality of being able to replicate. Some of them acquire the ability to enclose themselves in a membrane and so forth and so on. And in short, the march is on toward you and I here this evening. But what's interesting to note is that each successive stage in this process happens more rapidly than the process which repeated it. So that the early universe, 10 billion years goes on, and it's all about the star formation cookout thing, and then planetary formation. Then once you get, uh, and then once it happens, the eukaryotes follow fast, and after them, the ciliated protozoas, and then, you know, it's just a moment to Madonna, both Madonnas. Right? So he could talk about science you know, this is all ah, both Madonnas. Did you get that? Yeah. <laughs> right. So he always had a little joke in there. But my yeah, point so is he ends on a punchline. He ends on a punchline. He's a showman in a way. Right. But but all of the things he said are scientifically accurate. Right. And, and he could talk for hours about, you know, things, astronomical, biological uh, phenomena. He he talked about there is a great four and a half hour Terrence McKenna talk about hermeticism and Gnosticism, which is enthralling. If you're me, I guess maybe not everybody's <laughs> into it. <laughs> I loved it. I've listened to it a couple of times. Um, but so he could do a lot of different things, right? He he was a, he was a he was a polymath in 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 an academic sense, right? Um, and eventually, he would start to bring this to bear on the time wave. Eventually, he's wanting to make the time wave work mathematically like actually figure out there, there was he had people help him write software he was trying to really understand how this thing actually worked um and i think that's really interesting that he wanted to to, to make it sort of legitimate and serious in some way um and we're going to backtrack but but maybe this is a good time well let me read uh something from dennis about the time wave and dennis loved terrence right um Here's what Dennis said about the time wave. <laughs> I'll save my critique of the time wave as a scientific theory for another chapter. Whatever its value in that regard, constructing and calibrating the time wave was, for Terence, an alchemical exercise. That is, an ongoing act of individuation in the Jungian sense. Ultimately, it, ultimately, it was clear he'd been trying to map his own odyssey through time as much as define time's hidden structure. As all theories of everything must be, his was only partially successful. And so the pursuit of his individuation remained a work in progress, never completed, even at the time of his death. But individuation is almost by definition a life's work, an important task that perhaps the end, uh, in the end, few, as, few of us ever finish. Now, Terrence would latch on, I don't even know if latch on is the right word. In Within Terrence's rap, the time wave stuff became more and more important and it became more and more important to sort of fans of his because it comes with it, this millenarian notion that the world is going to end in some way. Now, Terrence, people, people give Terrence a hard time because the, the, the cursory understanding is well terrence said that the world was going to end in 2012 and the world didn't end so he was an idiot the thing that terrence actually said okay was that novelty would um increase to such an extent that everything 
um, and, and it would be novelty increasing on one level and um, networking increasing on the other, other level would increase to such an extent that everything would be come interconnected and we would reach a singularity beyond which nothing can be said and thereby history would end that's what he actually was saying and so i don't know about you but i remember before 2012 <laughs> and it didn't look like I've been, 2022 I've been trying to forget right yeah there is some um I'm credibility not saying, to this I'm not claim yeah, I'm not saying mm -hmm. the specific date is correct, but if you were to say something like um, around 2010, we crossed some kind of cultural Rubicon that cannot be gone back. I don't see how that's not true. I mean, maybe you can always say that, but, you know, I think I, I think there's a there's a metaphorical sense in which you can say Terrence was uh, directionally correct. In my opinion. I would I would agree. Yeah, it, everything is interconnected now, right? Supposedly, or it feels that way, or it's supposed to be, or something, right? And instead of it being like all nice and orderly, it's somehow made everything more chaotic and completely unpredictable, right? And and we're in this sort of we're in this sort of infinite novelty loop, right? Like you know, I think Terrence would be interested in the incessant news cycle. The way that like the Nord Stream pipeline can blow up and 12 hours later, nobody even cares anymore. Right. Just the ch -ch 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 -ch. like that's to me, that's what he was talking about as being the sort of the end of history. Um, anyway. Right. Yeah. Well, of course, <laughs> Francis Fukuyama famously declared that history had ended uh, mm -hmm. with the collapse of the Soviet Union and the dominance of liberal democracy as yeah the sort of final system of, of government with no plausible alternative. Uh, now, of course, that seems to have been maybe rolled back or people are kind of squinting at that a little bit. But right. Terrence wasn't alone in in saying this. Uh, and right. he was just maybe kind of the pulp version of it. Uh, right. Kind of, right. you know. Um, yeah. Very interesting. Yeah. Hmm. And, and, and he had, like I said, he had this pattern. But now the thing is, the pattern was... I think Dennis has a good point that it was personal. I think Terrence wanted to wake up from history, like like uh, the James Joyce quote, you know, history is a nightmare from which I'm trying to wake up. Terrence took James Joyce very seriously. In fact, one of the books, one of the materials they had with them at the experiment at La Terrera was uh, Finnegan's Wake. And at one point after the experiment, both Dennis and Terrence said, I think we're living in a James Joyce novel right now. I think James Joyce is in control of this reality we're living in. Terrence would sign his letters HCE, which for people who listen to our James Joyce episode knows, though comes, uh, stands for Humphrey something earwicker or here comes everybody who's the protagonist of Finnegan's Wake, right? So Terrence was very interested in, 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 in this kind of thinking, this sort of the, the world is constructed with, by out of language. And then what happens when there's a sort of a narrative collapse around the language, right? Then the world that you built, uh, has, the reality that's been built out of language then in some way folds in on itself, right? So this is all kind of stuff that's, that's circula circulating around in old Terrence's head. Now, while he's building his fame up and his, 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 uh, 
reputation up and he's building a, a following. Some people would even call it a cult because it had this millenarian quality to it. He, um, well, let me give you, let me, let me say something. And then I want to see, I want to talk to Peniel about what's called the Watt. Watkins objective. But first, I want to talk about something that happened in 1988. Now, remember, Terrence, the most famous proponent of psychedelics alive in the late 80s and 90s, right? And that maybe he's not that famous. But for a person that's doing that, he's pretty darn famous. Um, he's talking at Esalen all the time, sometimes to groups of thousands of people. Tim Leary, Tim Leary called him the most important man of his generation, right? So he's a he's he's a figure in the, in the late 80s and into the 90s. But in 1988, he and Kat are living in Hawaii. Terrence has a mushroom trip that turns on him. Okay, let me read. Let me see if I can find my note about this. Um, <clears throat> okay, this is from Dennis McKenna's book. But this, and uh, Peniel, you might have more insight into the behind the scenes on this than I do. There is a paragraph from this Brotherhood of the Screaming Abyss that came out in the first edition that was then removed. Nobody's really sure why it was removed exactly. Um, and it goes like this. And this is from Dennis. Terrence's pivotal existential crisis came abruptly sometime in 88 or 89. I don't know exactly when it happened and I don't know exactly what happened. I'm piecing it together from what Kat, Terrence's wife, has told me. It happened when they were living for a time on the big island of Hawaii, and it was a mushroom trip they shared that was absolutely terrifying for Terrence. It was terrifying because, for some reason, the mushroom turned on him. The gentle, wise, humorous mushroom spirit that he had come to know and trust as an ally and teacher ripped back the facade to reveal an abyss of utter existential despair. Terrence kept saying, so Kat told me, that it was a, quote, a lack of all meaning, a lack of all meaning. Okay, Terrence says, references this experience a couple times later. Um, this is from Terrence. This trip that I had in Hawaii, I thanked God that somebody was there, that Kat was there specifically, because just the sound of her voice completely ameliorated a whole spectrum of hard to describe but very icky things that were threatening to overwhelm me. And I don't have trips like that very much where I need somebody there. This is another time he was talking. And that's what these psychedelics do. They make you get down and grovel in the dirt. God, I had this trip in Hawaii that was just horrible, you know, where it was saying, you think you're such hot stuff, you won't even get off your ass and go shit in the field. You know, I want to see you grovel, man. You sit in front of all these people and pontificate on how it's all put together. Now face me now in the darkness and tell me how it's all put together. Right. So he has this tremendously disruptive mushroom experience in 1988. Now, according to Dennis, and who knows how true this stuff is, according to Dennis, Terrence would never take mushrooms again after this experience in 1988-89, which is a bit challenging when he spends the next decade or so being the public face of mushrooms. Um, it's a little bit hard to reconcile. He didn't publicly acknowledge that he wasn't taking mushrooms for the last decade of his life. He apparently would occasionally uh, take DMT and had some ayahuasca trips, though somewhat reluctantly. Um, now, Bruce Damer, this is how Bruce Damer kind of talks about it. Bruce Damer is this another polymath, almost like a Terrence McKenna-like figure. He's a guy who's consulted with NASA and, and a bunch of other things. Very interesting guy, um, a little bit younger than Terrence, but was a close friend of Terrence's. 
Bruce Damer says um, that what he thinks happened is as long as the psychedelic experience remained cerebral, Terrence could handle anything. As long as it man, it stayed in, we're talking to entities from interdimensional and we're learning things and it's aesthetically weird and all of that was fine. But as soon as it made him face himself, as soon as it, the entities or the mushroom or whatever held up a mirror to Terrence, he could not handle it. And he wasn't able or willing um, to delve into this confrontation with himself. Um and so that's literally that's the point where he stopped doing them. Um, now this is where it gets challenging because you're Terrence McKenna, you are again the most famous advocate for psychedelics in the world. Not only that, your career is based on traveling around the world and talking to people about psychedelics in a positive way. You have a mathematical philosophical concept that you believe the mushroom told you and yet you are scared to ever do mushrooms again in your life it's like willie nelson without his guitar right <laughs> right no so but think about what that would because i think that terrence is fundamentally an honest well-intentioned person I, I this is i don't think he's a bad person at all but I think he finds himself in a crisis after this 1988-89 thing where it's like, this is, I have a cult following. Like, this is my whole, my whole life is I'm the mushroom guy. And, I, but he's not doing them anymore, right? And after 1988, sometime, and I don't know if it has anything to do with the mushroom trip or not, but his marriage starts to decline. And eventually he and Kat would divorce in 1992 the circumstances around that are not particularly well publicized. Somebody out there knows the story. I don't know the story of you know the specifics of their divorce, but they get divorced in 1992. Um, they had they they had established a living on Hawaii at that time, and they had built um, mostly cat, is my understanding, had built what's called botanical dimensions, which is a an ethnobotanical garden or farm where they're collecting um, all kinds of plants of ethnobotanical importance. So there's ayahuasca vines there, but the Tura and all these other things that are collected on this, this acreage um, on the big island of Hawaii, it's still there, it's still running. You can still donate money to it. Um, uh, but he, he, he you know, breaks away from that. And it, he's living in Hawaii by himself after 1992. His two big books, um, uh, Food of the Gods, Food of the Gods, which is, <laughs> which is Mushrooms, and the Archaic Revival come out in 1992, which are his two biggest publications. They came out in reputable publishers. I think Food of the Gods may have even been on the New York Times bestseller list, list temporarily. And if not, it sold fairly well. Um, and yet he's in the midst of this crisis about whether he's not, whether this whole mushroom thing is, is, is he and he doesn't ever say this, but I start to imagine it's like when he goes out and gives these talks, does he feel like he's lying? Does he feel like he's misrepresenting something? What is, what is the emotional reality for him? And apparently he does start to suffer some depression because of this. Have we slid into the realm of the grift? Right. Mm. And I don't know. I'm not 
saying it was necessary. I, I'm, I'm talking about us. I'm not talking about Terrence. No. <laughs> Kevin, we slid into the realm of grift months ago. <laughs> right, right, right. Episode four, I think. Right. Indeed. Um, <laughs> no, that that is that is troubling, of course, right. because he's he's like he's like a priest who doesn't maybe have faith. Uh, he's right. sort of lost, you know, priest right. a priest who doesn't take communion. Right. Somehow. Right. Yeah, he doesn't maybe, actually yeah. believe like he can't yeah. God doesn't hear his prayers anymore or whatever, mm, right? Mm, now, mm -hmm. here's the thing. What he still has, what he still has is the time wave. The time wave is Terrence's idea and he came up with it and it's interesting and it's got its followers and all those things, but in 1996 Someone comes along, a young mathematician named Watkins with the Watkins objection. Now, Peniel, I don't know if you've got anything on the Watkins objection to the time wave. Yeah, sure. Uh, all right. Yeah. Sorry, Watkins I've been I've been rampaging. I'm like all I'm all keyed up. I'm I'm summoning teachings from the something, I guess. Sure. <laughs> um yeah, it was this this guy named I think his name was Matt Matthew. Mm -hmm, he was just mm -hmm. like a 20-year-old guy who came along and noticed that. Um, some data from the I Ching was changed to fit uh, with certain historical events. Uh, you notice, like, uh, um, I don't know if I have an exact, but yeah, he was the one also saying how, you know, humans determining what counts as novelty and what doesn't uh, skews everything. Right. And he, uh, sorry, my voice. Yeah. He, um, uh, was talking about it about 10 years ago online i just probably on his own website i don't know where oh watkins was yeah he was saying that uh so terrence was the one that came up with the phrase watkins objections right, right? so it, right. it just ruins ideas um terrence then hired or found a uh, a physicist who would review his original theory and matt's objections mm. um he quoted it as then put together in an incredibly dense and unnecessarily complicated document, including a vector analysis. And they came up with the time wave 2.0. Mm. And the physicist's name was uh, John Sheliak. Okay. So after they crunched it and this John guy sides with Terrence, he comes up. It's called the Sheliak clarification. Ah, so it goes yes. from the Watkins objections yes. to the clarification. I like this. I like this. The, and, and yeah, the Terrence calling it the Watkins objection. It's like him calling them going down to La Chirera, He calling it the experiment at La Chirera. He's good at he's good at self mythologizing. Right. It's like it, it, simply by somebody has an objection to an idea you have simply by putting it in book title caps, the Watkins objection. It's somehow it somehow validates your original idea, right? It's like it, you, you, he's like playing in this thing where like, oh, well, yes, there are objections come through and we refute the objections and the, there's the you know, Shelyak. Yeah, Shelly kind of LARP, LARPing right. is a kind of academic that <laughs> right. maybe he's not, but he does. He has PhDs and things. So, yeah, yeah. It's, it's 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 again, I don't think it's I don't think it's. And this is this is where this is where I, why I wanted to talk about this now. So Terrence is coming. This is the way that I see it. And, and this is me having poured over his life and, and a lot of the things he said. 1988, he has this existential, 1988, 89, he has this existential crisis related to taking having a rough mushroom experience. Yet he's the yet he's the Johnny Appleseed of mushrooms. Right. And he's built his career on that. He has this following. And I think there may have been the sense of like, 
But if the time wave is right, then it's okay. I'm still legitimate. If the time wave is right, then I'm still, I am, it's, I can hang my, I can hang my respect for myself on that, that I had this, at least I had this thing. So then the objection comes along in 1996. It was the first time, in my understanding, the first time that anybody had ever even looked at the math of the time wave. Because everybody else was just everybody else was just sort of like bowled over by the technicalities of it. It was like, whoa, man, that's wild. Uh, it seems right. Um, and then this Watkins guy actually looks at the math and is like, hey, you know, you can't do that. Like, you've got all kinds of craziness in here that doesn't quite work. This um, is just gibberish. Right, right. And so the <laughs> thing starts to kind of fall apart a little bit, right? But but that's what Terrence was hanging his hat on as being his last thing, right? He can't, he doesn't have faith in the mushrooms anymore. They turned on him anyway. His books are, you know, maybe his books, he still believes in some of the things he said in his books, but now it's like, okay, well now what? Um, I, you know, so this is where I see Terrence being around 1996. Now, some things happen after this. Um, 1997, Terrence McKenna's father finally dies and this is our darkness. So I got to tell this story. Uh, 1997, Terrence's dad dies of heart failure. He had a heart, uh, he'd had a heart defect as a child. And remember, Terrence missed his father's, uh, missed his mother's death, right? He'd been a fugitive, international fugitive or whatever, and he'd missed his mother's death. His father dies in, in Colorado and Terrence flies out there. Um, his father had had a heart defect and had an automatic um, defibrillator installed in his heart. So anytime he died, it would shock him back to life, right? It's, it's, it's just like the clear things, but it's permanently installed inside of you. Um, the problem was this was fairly, you know, somewhat early days for this tech. And um, he dies, he, he, his heart stops, Terrence's dad's heart stops, and the defibrillator shocks him back to life. And then his heart stops again, it shocks him back to life. And then his heart stops again, it shocks him back to life. And this is happening rapidly over a short period of time. This automatic defibrillator is bringing him back to life, bringing him back to life. Terrence shows up at the hospital. He's like, can somebody please shut this thing off? Like they're they continually resurrecting his dad who will live for a minute or two and then be, die again, right? It's happening dozens of times. <laughs> And you can imagine how just horrifying this is. You go to the hospital and, and nobody will shut it off. And they're like, well, the doctor has to shut it off. And the do doctor's off on some golf junket and they can't get a hold of him because it's pre-cell phone era. And Whoa. just like insanity, right? So finally, they do get it shut off. Terrence leaves. Dennis shows up at the hospital like as Terrence is going to the airport. They hadn't seen each other apparently in a couple of years, supposedly. Um, and there's just it's just the sad kind of moment, 1997, where like, you know, instead of having this moment where like Terrence and Dennis could have been back together, they had had a couple of rough patches, though they, you know, they were still brothers, they still loved each other, but there'd been some stuff when, especially following the divorce. And I think Dennis saw that I think Dennis was possibly somewhat reticent about being too close to Dennis during this period because he saw the same thing that Terrence saw, which was following this 1988-89 thing. Who is Terrence? Is he legit? Is he a fraud? You know, what does he mean anymore? What is this time wave stuff? You got Dennis, who's a hardcore scientist, and his brother is like, is he some kind of cult leader now? Like, what is going on here? Um, this could have been this moment where they kind of reunion had a reunion at their father's deathbed and maybe made some peace, and it, it unfortunately wouldn't happen then. Um, 
So some more time goes on. Terrence is living uh, full time in Hawaii. It's funny. There's one interview he calls Art Bell and uh, Art Bell is like, Terrence, how are you talking to us right now from the middle, you know, the middle of nowhere in Kona, Hawaii? And Terrence goes in very excited detail about how he's got this like radio relay set up that's sending his phone signal via radio over a, a one megabyte per second connection to some relay that's elsewhere on the island that then hooks up to the phone system he's very excited about this like high, that's super very high tech yeah right that's very <laughs> mckenna right and and art bell's just like that's unbelievable terrence i can't believe that you're you know it's like from 1997 or something it's very it's very charming in a way um um but anyway so okay so time goes on now 1999 comes along and Terrence, who'd always had migraines, um, collapses. He's got a seizure and he collapses. Um, some further time would go by and he would eventually be diagnosed with uh, glioblastoma multiforme, which is a highly aggressive form of brain cancer. This is 1999. He's uh, 53 years old. Uh, he undergoes a variety of traditional and experimental treatments. He doesn't do like the Steve Jobs thing where he's just like, well, I'm going to go off into the jungle. You know, he's like, let's do, you know, they got the gamma knife treatment. Let's try that. And they cut out part of the tumor and they think he's good for a while, but it ends up not being the case. Um, and over a period of time, uh, Terrence finally succumbs to this thing. Uh, it's, it's a kind of brain cancer. I think even now it has like a 5% six, uh, survivability rate or something. It's very aggressive. Um, Terrence was concerned when he was first diagnosed that it might've been because he literally asked the doctor, like, hey, doc, like I have smoked weed basically every day, all day for 35 years. Do you think that has anything to do with this? And they sort of said, no, we, we really don't think it does. Um, but you can imagine that fear, like, oh my God, did I like give myself brain cancer? Like, that's kind of a scary thought to have, right? This thing that had given you a superpower that you, you know, who, who you relied on for your entire career had been the thing that, you know, gave you brain cancer. Now there's another interesting thing here. Uh, well, there's a couple, um, the doctor who doesn't really know who Terrence is. The, he's just a guy treating Terrence. The doctor starts to explain to Terrence how the brain cancer, he, so, he basically says, Terrence, what do you want to think of as like a mushroom? Like, do you know anything about mycelial networks and how they run? So basically what this tumor is like, it's like a mushroom that has grown in your head and it's sending mycelial fibers out into the rest of your brain. Now, okay. That's interesting in Blue Terrence's mind, but I want you to think about what the time wave represented. And I want you to think about a couple of the things that were notable in Terrence's understanding and development of the time wave. We go back to La Chirera. He and his brother have a mutual hallucination seeing a mushroom as the planet Earth in which they observe or they, they come to understand that there's some kind of pun in history where a mushroom cloud, which looks like the mushroom that is expanding their minds to gain teachings from the cosmos, also is the thing that stands at the end of the world as a strange attractor. 
thereby fitting on the time wave graph is a peak. A, the, the, the mushroom cloud is, is a peak on the time wave, right? The mushroom that they, they see and experience at La Trera is another little peak. And then the mushroom in Terrence's actual head that's killing him, which represents the end of Terrence McKenna universe, right? It's all in there. <laughs> anyway, Terrence gets quite ill. At one point, Dennis comes to him and says, hey, let's let's go. I want to take you. I want to go and have an ayahuasca ceremony with you, I think. Or maybe it was even a mushroom ceremony with him. Terrence is like, doesn't even really want to do it. He's like, what are we even? I'm, I'm on the way out. Like, what's the point of all of this? Right. Does it anyway? And nothing happens, of course. And then his final days, apparently one of the last things that Dennis um, conversations that Dennis had with him uh He's very sick, falling kind of in and out of consciousness. And Terrence tells Dennis, he says, I'm having, he says to Dennis, I'm having hallucinations. And Dennis says, like psychedelic hallucinations? And Terrence says, what are psychedelic hallucinations? <laughs> Which I think is great because that's what his whole career was. His whole career was, I had hallucinations. What the hell are these? What is this, right? That's been his whole career has been trying to answer that question. And like one of the last things he says is a reformulation of that very same question, right? And so that's, I mean, that's it. He dies in April of, of the year 2000, well before his 2012 prediction of when, you know, quote unquote, the world's going to end, history is going to end, the world's going to disappear up its own, uh, its own cavity. Which day in April? Oh, uh, ooh, that's a good question. I don't actually have that in front of me. I just want to know if he made it to the tax day in the new millennium. <laughs> or Hitler's birthday, which is also Let's Earth see. Day. I think and April 3rd. April 3rd. Oh, no, he did not. He, he, he escaped. He missed it. He missed it. Yeah, nice. yeah, yeah, yeah. Well done. Yeah, if you're yeah. going to go out, go out before April 15th. Yeah. Now, let me give you one thing. So there's a couple of legacy things. Um, okay. All right. And, and Pino, like anything you, you've got to say, I know I've kind of run roughshod over all of this. <laughs> so anything you, anything you want to add about the life of Terrence McKenna? Um, one thing is his books. Um, he had a crazy library, 3,000 books. Now, he'd had an earlier library that had burned. It's an, I didn't mention that, but when he was like 20, he had a library that burned. But in the ensuing years, he had a library of something around 3,000 books. And this wasn't just a grab bag of whatever. He had esoteric and occult books, you know, books on ethnobotany. Uh, I imagine a fascinating library. This was supposed to be left to um, his children, to Finn and Clea, is my understanding. Um, and then at some point, somebody from Esalen um, got involved and got a change made to his will. And Dennis is very suspicious of this because he thinks that at the time this change happened, that Terrence was not capable of making such a decision, right? So according to Dennis, something was changed in his will that sent all of his books to Esalen. Okay. What's the big deal with that? Well, Esalen puts them in storage. And then in 2003, the, the, the building that they're in burns down and Ter all of Terrence's book, his, Terrence's library is lost entirely. All 3,000 books go up in a puff of smoke, um, which to me is like a mini library of Alexandria burning kind of thing, right? You know, a carefully cultivated book collection by one of the most eccentric, 
intellectuals of the 20th century, you know, goes up, is gone. A um, in novelty. Yeah, exactly. Right. Yeah, literally a dip in novelty. Again, that's where I think it's like the time. There's a part of me that wants to think like the time wave is actually Terrence figuring out his own life. And he thought he was figuring out the timeline of history. But in fact, he was he was actually understanding like his own destiny or something, if that makes sense. He'd figured out the pattern of Terrence McKinnell's life in a way. or something like that, anyway. Or was looking for it if hadn't if he hadn't figured it out. Um, yeah, I mean that's kind of that's kind of all I got. Um, now I do. Maybe I can read one little bit from him. This is uh, not as long as some of them that I've read. <laughs> I, I didn't want to leave. He's he's got a he's got such an interesting style there's a thing is like i didn't want to not read anything from him but then i also feel like man other people like you should listen to him say it because it's way better than me saying it but let me give you something because he talks mostly about like intellectual or quasi-intellectual concepts but he could be quite rousing as well like he could be inspiring in a way and so let me like give you a taste of that this is from terrence we have to create culture. Don't watch TV. Don't read magazines. Don't even listen to NPR. Create your own roadshow. The nexus of space and time where you are now is the most immediate sector of your universe. And if you're worrying about Michael Jackson or Bill Clinton or somebody else, this is the 90s, then you are disempowered. You're giving it all away to icons, icons which are maintained by an electronic media so that you want to dress like X or have lips like Y. This is shit-brained, this kind of thinking. That is all cultural diversion. And what is real is you and your friends and your associations, your highs, your orgasms, your hopes, your plans, your fears. And we are told, no, we're unimportant. We're peripheral. Get a degree, they say. Get a job. Get a this. Get a that. And then you're a player. You don't want to even play in that game. You want to reclaim your mind and get it out of the hands of the cultural engineers who want to turn you into a half-baked moron consuming all this trash that's being manufactured out of the bones of a dying world. So that's one. That's like a Terrence McKenna message that I think we can rally behind a little bit. One of us. So you might disagree on, you know, this Mm -hmm. idea or that idea, but ultimately, for me anyway... I end up on Terrence McKenna, Team McKenna, because of things like that, that he said, at, at the very least. I'm playing third base for the Machine Elves, the AAA team for the yeah, Holy Mushroom. Yeah. yeah, baby. Yeah. Hey, Brad, Peniel, fabulous. I yeah. love it. We're going to do more. We're going to do more. Uh, yes, I want to hear a little more from uh, Peniel on the After Dark episode, which is for Patreon subscribers only. We're going to go. I'm going to insist we go a full 30 minutes on that. Okay. If you appreciate what we do, we do kindly ask for your support. The best way to do it is through Patreon. We do have some other donation options if you go to the website, but Patreon's cool. Uh, I I personally message everybody who signs up there. We love to hear from people, whether or not you're on Patreon or not. But if you're on Patreon, ah, I'll probably give you a little uh, a little extra special attention. You know how it is, right? But you can <laughs> yeah. always harass Brad uh, on the Twitter account, which is at Art of Dark Pod. Uh, this is very exciting because there were some strange synchronicities between 
Terrence McKenna and Francis Bacon, who oh, we're yeah. going to do in a couple of hours in release today as well. All of these core episodes are evergreen. Why? Because we only do dead artists. Uh, so, <laughs> right. And we do try to be fairly comprehensive. It's, it's good. I feel like I have a better understanding of Terrence and also, Brad, his tragic nature. There's well, a certain... Mm. Yes, there, there really is. There really is. And yes, there is. It, I love the guy. I love the guy, man. And uh, like a lot of our subjects, but you, there is a certain tragic. And I, I guess the point is there maybe is a little bit of that in everybody's life. Did he, yeah. and, and excuse me, if you mentioned this, did he remarry? Cause he went on the outs and then he, he, he did not No, He had, hmm. he was in a relationship when he got sick um, with a younger woman. Uh, there's a little bit of controversy around that too, that we didn't quite get into, but yeah, hmm. he, 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 he was in a, he was in another, uh, in another relationship okay. after cat for sure. Well, and strongly encourage you if you're interested in McKenna and you're the kind of person who, I don't know, listens to three hour long podcasts. Uh, if, you, if you're not familiar with his speaking, I would really encourage you to do that. But only after you listen to the entire Art of Darkness <laughs> back catalog, yeah. which is now more more than 50 episodes. Yeah. Uh, very, very fun. Um, and Peniel, uh, again, are you you're on the Bird website, right? At Peniel Collada. I'm still hanging on there. Still hanging on. <laughs> yep. I see you sometimes. I just want to make sure that I got it right. So it's yeah. at Neil Collada. Mm -hmm. And and you got to check out, you got to go to her Etsy, right? Mm -hmm. Where uh, I think if you just go, it's linked in your in her Twitter bio. So definitely, definitely go there. Show some support. She's making really cool stuff, really unique stuff playing in the realms mm -hmm. of, of, of psychedelia and shamanism and, I and all made, that. Uh, Terrence McKenna art using an image of it and uh some sort of mckenna institution came for me oh, <laughs> oh did, no they, they yeah. wanted to like take it down Many years ago yeah I had to. wow oh, oh okay well mckenna inc yeah <laughs> yeah they show right. up in suits and briefcases and they look at you right. very sternly yeah 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 yeah, yeah. <laughs> interesting well brad of course when we're gonna do timmy leary at some point here mm -hmm. there's no end to the subjects we're gonna cover we've got some really uh, fun episodes coming up i know we're gonna be doing uh norm mcdonald soon mm -hmm. uh who else are we we've got crowley John. coming up mr crowley yes yes Crow uh john yep. kennedy tool mm -hmm. Uh, it's coming up in a couple of weeks. So, yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, great, great guests, good people. Uh, we love doing it. We, you know, we love our supporters. We love our listeners. We're we're trending, we're charting. We're, I think we're 59 right now in the books category in hey. Canada. The Leafs love us. Hey. We got, we got to have a, a Candanavian on the show right now. Yeah. Uh, so, Candanavian? Wonderful. Yeah, we're huge in Canada. Yeah. Uh, and yeah, it's good. It's <laughs> yeah. good. No, it's and, great. And, and, That's awesome. And tell me, and what are we going to talk about on the After Dark, Brad? One final tease. We are going to discuss the question and possibly surmise an answer of whether or not Terrence McKenna was an asset of intelligence that is somehow involved with the FBI, somehow involved with the CIA or some other three-letter agency. Um, I think it'll be interesting. Cool. Yeah. I'm going to stick around for that. You should. Thank you, you. you better be here. Thank you, Brad. <laughs> Thank you, yes. Neil. Thank you. All right. Thank you so much. We'll see you a little bit. Later. Later.